Hello, this is Dearly Departed with Abby and Roberto. Coming at you with so much to celebrate, including... This week's guest, Molly McAleer of Mother May I Sleep With podcast. And we're covering The Real Housewives of of D.C. Dearly Departed, are you listening? We will remember all about you. When you were cancelled, we were trembling. We can't believe that they would doubt you. We won't forget you and the rest. Dearly Departed, Dearly Departed. Up until yesterday, it was like, what kind of what kind of chat is this going to be? You know, what emotional? Oh no, I know. I definitely knew it wasn't going to be as bad as 2016 when, like, I was so sad for. I mean, four years. I guess I was really sad for four years Mm. Uh, because I had like sort of braced (laughs) myself for things to go badly, and like I don't know. It's like I turned over a new leaf in my soul, and I just feel even though supposedly we were probably going to be running into some roadblocks. Like I personally am choosing to move forward as if Biden is my president. Um, And did you see our boy made a little, like a little (laughs) cameo in the Are are we talking about No, I wish. Was he in it? No, but he posted (laughs) a video today on his, his private Instagram of him driving over Trump signs. So that was a little confirmation that he is in fact a Biden supporter. Oh, I love that. No, I was gonna, um, I posted it to my Instagram, but there's like a photo of Joe Biden when Mikhail and Tarek snuck into the Black Caucus dinner, which is just iconic. I mean, it's really iconic. And yeah, I have so much to say about it. I mean, there's so much discussion on the show of, Mikkel's picture with him at the state dinner where she has her hand lovingly on his chest in a, a sort of forward way. Um, I'm like, I, I truly like, we have you to thank for picking the show. I was not prepared for how like delicious every second of this was going to be. Yeah, no, um, I, well, I've always loved this show so much. It's just, I just love it. From the moment it started airing, it it hit different than the other Housewives franchises. So I was so excited to do NYC prep with you because I like, you know, I had seen it and I enjoyed it, but it it wasn't a show that I had a huge, deep emotional connection with, but I can say Real Housewives of DC is to this day, I'm always like, there's certain Housewives that only did one season. I'm a big fan of Jules for example, but like this was truly a, you know, it was a one season wonder for such a stable franchise and it all ended because of, you know, the FBI (laughs) FBI stepping in and saying, excuse me, we have to raid your computers. Bravo. Uh, Yeah, no, it's a really sort of breezy watch. You know, there's a lot of, um, issues faced head on that I think it took other seasons of the franchise to get, you know, several seasons into specifically, I would say this was like the first iteration of this show that heavily addressed racism. Yeah. 
100%. And I'm so excited to delve in. Uh, for everyone, this is Dearly Departed with Abby and Roberto. And today we're so excited to have Molly back with us talking about a show that is a gem. It's a masterpiece from beginning to end. I would have to say it's, you know, on this show, we're typically covering shows that are gone for a reason, but this one. I mean, usually we do say like, we don't encourage our listeners to really like watch all the shows that we watch because we're watching them so they don't have to. But with this show, I endorse watching it front to back. It's so worth it. Oh yeah, this is up there with my so-called life in terms of shows that just left us way too soon. I mean, it's really, really great. It's um, interesting when you look at the updates about the cast, how quickly a lot fell apart for so many of them. Yeah. After this show aired, um, Mm -hmm. not one couple survived this show and two broke up pretty much as soon as it was done, Mary and Rich and Kat and her fiance. Yeah. And um, right. yeah, it's it's just, it's a great show. It's unlike any other Housewives franchise where, you know, you have to pull through so many threads to explain to anyone who these people are. Cause you're like, <laughs> well, in order to understand Bethany, you have to understand that she started out as like, you know, someone who was on Martha Stewart's apprentice and she was the first single housewife <laughs> and she had this amazing friendship with Jill, but she and Jill broke up and then she got engaged and she started skinny girl. Like it's literally so painful for most seasons of real housewives to tell someone in context what's going on but we only have this one season so while there are a lot of layers to all of these women we really only have to go through i guess the 11 episodes and two reunions we got yeah no i was just gonna say like i did find this show kind of impressively straightforward like i do feel like i got a good sense for who each of these women were really quickly and they were genuinely interesting as i was watching it i was like wait i'm like quite interested in these women. They have layers that we're seeing that are more than I sometimes expect from a Real Housewives show. I've only dabbled in other seasons, but. I would say that my background, I think with most reality TV is I I like to get a sprinkle of everything. I like to know what's happening, but I feel like there have been few shows that I've really sat down and consumed in terms of Bravo shows. You know, I, I've definitely sat, you know, in a two day Real Housewives of Atlanta marathon and, you know, I've seen Don't Be Tardy. I've seen a bit of Vanderpump Rules, but, you know, for me, I feel like this was the first time I had really welcomed the Real Housewives into my heart. Um, now, for you, like, are, have you watched all of the seasons? What are your favorite well, Housewives? I'm a little bit, of, I would say, maybe um, controversial to some okay. people, just in, like, terms of my alliances for, like, parts of the franchise for which cities I really like. Give um, it to me. But then also my random sort of just, like, oh, I just don't, I don't engage. And I would say where I am now with Bravo is like, I kind of overall, like it used to be such a safe place for me where I would turn on my Bravo and it would be an escape from the world. And I would say that DC potentially my, potentially my love for this season was because it happened in 2010, which was like a time in my life where I was really open to stuff like this. So Mm -hmm. um, this was like, yeah, it's a little bit of a, 
a special thing, but I would say that for me, I am 100% Real Housewives of New York. That is my franchise. And then I also really throughout the years enjoyed New Jersey. Now, New York is the only one I stay current on. I definitely watched Beverly Hills for many years. I enjoyed the first season of Dallas because I was a big Leanne Locken fan who, you know, we don't really like talk about her anymore because I, <laughs> I don't know what she did, but I know she's canceled. Um, and then, you know, I watched the first couple seasons of Real Housewives of Atlanta, Potomac I've never seen, Melbourne, I watched an episode of it for my friend Ronnie and Ben's podcast, Watch What Crappens, and I... Obsessed with Ronnie, by the way. Oh, yeah, Ronnie's the best, and Ben is the best, too. They're both great, and um, when I watched it, I dead ass, and I'm not even kidding, got on their podcast, and I was like, but wait, like, is it, like, is the bit that they're drag queens? Because I really thought that it was like an Australian comedy sort of bit where they were all drag queen housewives. And I had only seen the one episode, but it turns out they are not drag queens. Those are just what that group of women in Australia look like. (laughs) Did you catch The Real Hot Wives on Hulu? I have seen that. Um, I've seen... A few episodes because I, I, Danielle Schneider was my improv teacher who was like, I wrote an email to her, <laughs> like basically <laughs> being like, you're the best teacher I've ever had in my life. Like after I took her class, like, I don't know if it was like boundary breaking or whatever, but like, you know, she just wrote back like, this is the nicest email I've ever received. But I like cried when I wrote it. Cause I was like, you really like got me to go places with improv and performing that I've never gotten to. So like Danielle, I love. And then Casey and June, I've also been like fixtures of that LA scene for a really long time. So I always watch a little bit of what they do, but in general, I'm not the biggest like tune into sketch comedy person, mm-hmm. um, which I feel bad about because I feel like I should love that, but I kind of just don't. Um, I don't know how to take it, I guess. I don't, is that weird? No, I get it. I don't, I don't watch a lot of sketch comedy either. I think it's I think it's really good and really special. It's just like not everybody's style of comedy. Yeah. Like I would say that like Mr. Show, if I was going to rewatch like sketch comedy or revisit it, like with loyalty, it would probably be Mr. Show. But like, you know, the thing is um, I've never seen Potomac and it's actually come up quite a bit in recent history where it's like, if you don't watch Atlanta and Potomac, like you're racist. And I, like, listen, I just don't watch most of them. I've never, I've got through like one season of OC, but for me, OC feels a little bit like The Wire when everyone's like, oh, let's <laughs> watch like three seasons. You'll like love that show. And I just like can't, I don't have the, Who has the time. I can't do the down payment. I just simply can't. And like, I feel like I've watched the first two or three seasons of The Wire attempting to get into it so many times. I just haven't. Um, but I will say that I'm very much looking forward to Salt Lake City. Because oh my God. Has it dropped too? It hasn't come out yet, but I have a perverse obsession with Mormonism where as like, I feel like if it was almost any other religion, it would be straight up disrespectful. (laughs) But I feel like with Scientology and Mormonism, we all sort of get to like gawk a little bit because it's just so unreal unless you live in like a part of the country where you're just like drowning in it all the time. Oh, I'm with you on that. 110%. I'm so intrigued by this Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Um, 
I, I can say this, Roberto and I have listened to your podcast episode on the Jody Arias Lifetime movie. Oh, yeah. Like so many times. That's like our favorite one. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yeah, the first one. And I'll never be able to top it because I've never <laughs> seen such a good movie. Like- oh, it's, it's <laughs> truly one of the greatest films ever made. And it has lit a fire under me of just being obsessed with Mormonism and Jody and all things. Yeah. Oh my God. So like Travis being a Mormon is so fascinating, but like, yeah, I kind of started my lifetime podcast, not just because I grew up loving lifetime movies, but like I went through a bad breakup when this movie was just starting and I didn't really know anything about Jodi Arias except that my friend Ed had made fun of me because I changed my hair color a lot and been like oh like Jodi Arias and I had no idea what he was talking about (laughs) but I went through this really bad breakup and for some reason this movie was I guess on Netflix and I watched the Jodi Arias movie like I would wake up and like put downstairs and like start making coffee and flip on the Jodi Arias movie every day for like 30 days because there was just something about it that where I was like, she's not the villain, dude. Like she definitely is the murderer, but I don't know if she's (laughs) the villain. I can say that I have definitely gone on her website and it's one of those things where, look, do I secretly... And by secretly, I mean publicly admitting on this podcast, want an original Jodi Arias print. You know, her little oh, color I have, pencil thing. I things. have several of them. <laughs> oh, thank God. I, I desperately want the one that she does with um, the crossed legs emerging from the shadows. Oh, I like that. I have the cat one that I actually bought for Stephen Ray Morris, and I, I still owe it to him. It's like somewhere in a tube in my house. You know, those packing tubes I just like you know I'm someone that like puts something down and I never see it again like I'm fully an adult living with ADHD um and I you know haven't seen it in years but I got the crying eye that's a good one that one one is really powerful I think there was one that had like nail polish or nails on it and I got that one too because you know man I I love manicures so (laughs) but yeah I will I will I honestly say I know coronavirus isn't gone but this is the most hope i've had that i will probably get a manicure sometime in the near future uh, wow i'm with to be you out on and that. about in the world I'm like now looking at my nails in in desperation well let's jump into the show but actually even one step right before that as abby and i watched the show and this morning as i started gathering my notes I was I was looking on the Wikipedia page and I just have to note this because it's so funny and bizarre to me that um, I want everyone to know if you go to the Wikipedia page for reality television, the main photo is of Philip Phillips, <laughs> season 13 winner of American Idol. Okay. And, you know, the musical genius that gave us home and gone, gone, gone. Right. <laughs> and there's just something so hilarious to me that he is the image of reality TV. Wow, that's that's kind of iconic. He must have some real like claymates, you know what I mean? Like whatever his version of claymates are that just do that for him because they rallied around him. They said, "Give Philip Phillips that picture, that page." There's just I mean, like 40 Philip Phillip fans just going through different Wikipedia pages and finding a way to work in his relevance. I know there's people that definitely do this and I don't, but I know there's people that definitely aggressively 
make sure that whatever update they want is on Wikipedia. I've never tried to update a page, but maybe they're just really dedicated. I wonder what from day to day, what those look like. I'm going to start tracking that now. Let's do this. Well, first, The Real Housewives premiered August 5th, 2010. It was the fifth installment um, in the Housewives franchise following Orange County, New York, Atlanta, New Jersey. Um, It's the only one so far in the U.S. that has failed to be renewed. Um, But people are saying that, that Potomac is kind of like D.C. adjacent, which none of us have seen. So what does that say for us? I mean, it is a Maryland show, and apparently Linda is friends with one of the castmates from what I was reading about today. So Linda's the only one they say that could potentially make a crossover appearance. Um, which Bring back Linda. I love Linda. Oh, me too. And there, there's uh, some deep, sick shit that happened uh, behind the scenes, but very publicly because it's me. Um, but like <laughs> behind the scenes, meaning like A-bong, because, like, when this show first popped off, th- I'm going to take us on. Let's just get back to Avon when you finish your introduction. Because I'll. Well, we, I'll can, we can talk about Linda first. Like, we can just jump into Linda yeah. right now, Linda and Avon. I did have a question, though, as a Housewives fan or someone who's, you know, more familiar with than than we are. I was struck because, you know, you think of Housewives and you think of the iconic, you know, opening sequence where they're all holding something. Is that something that happened the later seasons? Because I was like, why, what are they, why aren't they holding anything? No, I think that was always a thing. Cause like Orange County, you know, is very, I mean, it's the orange. It's so easy. Right. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that happened and then New York had the apples and then Jersey is, I don't know what it should be a tomato, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) Beverly Hills has the diamond. No, I think that that was always a thing, but I don't, I, I, maybe the first like couple seasons, I'm not totally sure, but I'm pretty sure they always held something. They just like failed to to give our girls in DC something to hold. Maybe they just couldn't come up with anything. I guess I I guess I was like so trying to watch every episode. I forgot about the intro because they do have great taglines. But they do. I, I guess so. Are they just all sort of like crossing their arms or? They're ho- they have a hand on the hip. Oh, okay, that's a good pose. <laughs> so, so the first housewife that we have is Linda, and her tagline in the intro is, "I give enough." Well, I give people enough rope to hang themselves with, and the smart people don't. I think about that Which, tagline all the time. Like, what is she talking about? <laughs> no, she's just like, you know what? Like, I will, I'll give you enough to make your personality known. And I think that we see that. She does that with Mikel very much. And she, I don't know if you noticed, power moves Mikel by calling her Michaela. Which oh, is like, I noticed. Which I'm sure was like her name when she worked at the makeup counter. But now that she's married to Tarek Salahi, she wanted to go with Mikel, which is a much more, you know, maybe potentially perceived as sophisticated name. But... I, I don't think with Linda that it was an, uh, maybe it was her never learning her name, but I think it was, it might have been Michaela. <laughs> oh, it felt, it felt intentional to me. And then I was looking on Mikel's wiki to see if it had like birth name, but I didn't see any evidence there that her name was originally <laughs> Michaela, but I suppose you could pronounce Mikel as Michaela just based on that spelling. 
Wait, I'm just now obsessed with the idea of Linda never bothering to learn this girl's name. No, truly. Because, like, you know, she's someone that worked at the makeup counter. And if you've ever worked a service job, there's people that really stop and take their time and get to know you and view you as a trusted asset in their life, if not maybe a full-blown friend. And I could see Linda as someone who very much like comes in, she gets her glass of champagne she enjoys. She has probably someone she favors more. I mean, you know, there's so much talk about racism on this show, but I don't think anyone ever really looks at Linda because she has this gigantic black boyfriend. And like, I say this to mean that this man is literally like seven feet tall. He is very dark skinned. He is gorgeous. And literally him and Linda were so shocking to me. And I was so taken with him that I used to write on my Tumblr, like every single night before Real Housewives came out. Cause I was living in an apartment in Hollywood with my friend, which meant like I finally had reached a place in my life that I could afford cable. And I would watch this show and I would, I was just like, it's a bong night, baby. Like it is a bong night. Like he was always like, it, I would just sit around and wait for him to appear on screen. And if it wasn't an a bong episode, I was terribly disappointed. And a bong wound up finding my Tumblr, I guess, through Googling himself. Oh my gosh. Followed me, watched a <laughs> shit ton of my YouTube videos and then would tweet at me quoting me talking not about him, but just like about like, he thought I was very funny. He enjoyed my content. And so that was- It's not wrong. You know, I've always thought like, you know, just say a celebrity's name, like just like write about them the way you would talk to your friends because I feel like that's very honest. And so typically it would be like mortifying, but I guess I knew, I've always known what I'm signing myself up for whenever I talk about people. But, and I try and do it, always in like a fun way if you know even if it's bad it's tongue-in-cheek so I was just really overwhelmed when I got that follow from Abong and he was you know he would dm me from time to time I dm him and be like hey man what's up how you doing like yeah you know working on this or like he would post about his motivational business and I'd right back like you know proud of you a bong so like we had like a really <laughs> me and a bong had like a good sort of like you know person to person social media relationship for a while and it's you know i, I mean i guess more, that's one of the many things i've lost in the last four years i haven't really touched him with a bong emotionally how would you say a bong finding your tumblr compares to snake from degrassi Oh, they live in different you. worlds because like <laughs> Snake from Degrassi is terrifying because I genuinely, I, I like, I don't look and see if he's following me still. I never expect a like, like I don't, I, it's almost scary. It's like back when you could actually get someone you really like admired growing up to follow you, like when like. Mark Hoppus from Blink-182 followed me in like 2010. It was so surreal because I, that was my favorite band in high school, right? And I had such a big crush on him, but mostly Travis. Um, Travis, I would still probably need a lobotomy if he followed me just because I have such like a thing for him, right? But like you would be so nervous because you're like, oh, everything I tweet, I have to think about it and think about the fact that this person is potentially going to see this and I don't want to look like an asshole in front of someone I admire. That's how I feel about Stefan Brogren following me. But with Abong... I mean, that's just lols, man. Like, we're just, and especially when he came out being like, 
Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I would say that like a bong following me meant as much to me as when like Robert from shark tank blocked me. <laughs> despite me never adding him or i think ever even using his full name literally i have internet beef with a billionaire so like i'm hoping that's one of the things that gets cleared up this year now that things are looking better wow i absolutely love that story for you with abong i truly like rooted for him and linda linda is arguably my favorite of the dc housewives um and she is also the oldest. I think she was 54 when they did this season. And Abong, of course, was 35. So they had a nice May-December romance. Yes. And she's a model scout, which I think is, like, great and gives her a really fun edge because, mm-hmm. you know, we know she has to be discerning for a living. Linda is a woman of much shade. She is exactly the type of person, if you guys are listening, watch um, Ramona Uh, do her first interview on New York when she was looking for assistance. And she just basically like tore that girl to shreds in the name of, you know, setting her up better for the business world. Linda's very cutting when she does her um, model scouts or whatever. But I love that, you know, she lives in an apartment in DC proper. When we first meet her, I think that she has a really sort of like magical, design sense where it feels very like okay i'm in like a turquoise kitchen and like (laughs) you know like or like a deep you know like a deep green blue kitchen and like it's very like she's very big on the statement wall and she's very well dressed and she has been married two times and she's never doing it again it's like having a kid for her so she has this like fun young boyfriend um and i always wondered what abong did but I think that he, yeah, I'm not really sure to this day. According to the internet, it says that he's an accountant slash aspiring designer. Okay. I mean, yeah, his, when I was following his Instagram, it was very much like, um, you know, like those gurus that have like a very small following, but they act as if like he sort of had that going on, but like in terms of motivational stuff, like male entrepreneur kind of like advice kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say he was a Travis Alexander type in terms of his motivational speaking? No, 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 no. I would say he's more like, he's like a personal trainer that swims well socially. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I see. Well, touching on what you said earlier, I think, you were right. I, when Abong was introduced, I, I was surprised. Not, I don't know. I guess when you look at Linda in that intro and, and we later in the reunion find out that she is a registered Republican. Mm. I don't know if she still is, but there was, there but was just something. She did vote you know, for Obama. She makes a point to tell us that. That's right. She, there, there was something about, you know, first impressions and appearance. And I was like, oh, Interesting. I love that. Well, I think yes. they were definitely going for the shock factor with the way that they revealed Abong by him sort of yeah. disappearing. But I, I mean, when I say like racist, I don't mean like the way that Mary is like, oh my God, we should stop segregating hair salons. I mean more in the like, you know, I don't see color, but also sort of like laughing at Abong's self-deprecating jokes. I, I don't know. Like I felt like there was something very like, just the I don't see color of it all really like, her, her reverse racism comment. Yes, exactly. And I would say it hits me in a different way. Whereas like Kat, I would love to know your thoughts on her when we get to her because 
the racism she's accused of, I feel, is is somehow less active than Linda's, despite being probably just as hurtful. Interesting. Well, let's jump to Kat. You know, she her tagline is, I'm here for a good time, not a long time, which hilarious. Um, and she's apparently a British interior designer, which I didn't know and nothing based off the show would have given me that impression, um, who married Charles, the prize-winning journalist, who at the time was the White House photographer. Yeah, he did several administrations. I think he started with um, George W. and then Mm -hmm. went on to Obama. I don't know if he, I mean, I think Trump fired everyone, but like he was there for quite a while and like very much a respected person in that world. And Kat, you know, she one of her through lines on this season is that she wrote a sort of book that I, I guess they were trying to sort of market it as sex in the city based off of the photos that she took for her cover. Um, God awful photos. You know, I'm sure it was like that pink book cover, (laughs) you know, carrying shopping bags and on a flip phone. And it was inbox full. Yeah, it was a very um, it would it's very interesting. But I assume based off of that, that she has some deep relationship shit that I should probably just Google right now. But I think that it was sort of like, a, yeah, you know me. I'm the British party girl that slept around and I'm wiser because of this and that now. She's known for making out with Prince Harry. Ooh. And I guess leaving leaving her then husband and then having an affair with Charles, who was married to someone else at the time, and then ended up married to Charles, moving across the world to, you know, overseas to be with him. I will say that her introduction out of all of them struck me the most. I was most, you know, give me a fierce woman in leopard print, you know, with that deep British accent. I love that it. deep voice. She brings like, it with yes. the leopard print. She really does throughout <laughs> the series. Um, but she is the housewife that, you know, calls it like she sees it, which I always think is a hilarious, hilarious expression on all of these reality shows. And uh, just to like uh, dip back to Linda really quickly before we go to Kat, because I do think or before we follow up on this with Kat, but I do think that part of Real Housewives is always pulling for some of their children. And with Linda, she has two sons and a daughter and i believe her son's girlfriend is also her personal assistant yes and she looked like she was overworked i really get the sense that linda was pushing her very hard from what we saw of this girl whenever i see a personal assistant on a reality show i think you know being a young person in la who's quote unquote trying to make it right it's like that's the career path that you see and i have friends who are doing it and it's just like it seems it would give me nightmares. It feels like it would tear apart every fabric of my being. And my heart goes out to every assistant that I see. Yeah, I kind of don't think that's like the move anymore. When you move to LA to like be a personal assistant. Because when I first started and when I first moved out here, that was definitely the move was like, you have to be mm-hmm. like a secretary, personal assistant, like some sort of like, you know, a, just lower on the totem pole type position. Now I feel like there's so many, especially because of social media, there's so many more like entry level jobs that 
are just as dehumanizing in different ways. (laughs) But it's really hard to, you know, I would say the percentage of people that break out of being a personal assistant or a nanny are so much smaller than Mm -hmm. almost anything else. So I kind of would say spare yourself of that if you can. Like maybe, maybe be a personal assistant if like your career goal is something that's very important for your career is to be able to keep an NDA. But um, Linda, with her daughter, I mean, is there any, like, more inappropriate thing than your son's girlfriend to be your personal assistant? Like, how inappropriate is that, ultimately? Well, which came first? I wonder, yeah. That's the question. Yeah, I wonder if she threw her her son's girlfriend a bone by, like, giving her a job, or if she was her assistant and then met the son through her. I always assumed that he was dating this girl that he probably met in college. And Linda was like, I fuck with her. She's really easy to get along with. Like, I would hire you to be my personal assistant. Like, I always felt it was more like it just made sense for them because Mm -hmm. she probably was like, you know, that helpful girlfriend that's just like easy to get along with and like is willing to do things where you're like, oh, shit, you're like, you know helping like, me plan this party and it's easy and like that's so nice you know why like, not wouldn't it be so nice of me to like give you a job and put you on my payroll totally which includes putting xanax in her purse before she goes out absolutely 100 percent. oh my gosh at the reunion her her cocktail of what it was like concert concerta concerta xanax and scotch which by the way concerta that's like how i became anorexic in college and i will say 10 out of 10 if you need to lose 60 pounds in six months definitely abuse your friend's concerta prescription but like it is it's crack like i just didn't eat for like two years because i had access to concerta and it was you know i mean at the time it was everything um but it's definitely concerta is intense it's an adhd medication yeah, and I have right? I have ADHD, and it. Um, I just started taking Adderall for it, and of course, you know they always say that if you genuinely have ADHD, it's not like speed, right? But I just can't understand how Concerta is not like speed for anyone, especially because Linda is sort of naturally up. Well, that's why she says you have to have the Xanax with the Concerta. You can't just take the Concerta. You need a little something to balance you out, which would be the Xanax. You know, and by the way, if she's being real, which I think she is, I feel like that's a classic American combo. There are so many bitches out there today and every day on a little bit of an upper, a little Mm -hmm. downer to balance it out. And then who can skip cocktail hour? Oh, obviously. I mean, and she does also say openly in 2010 on TV, which I appreciated that, you know, she didn't used to drink alcohol because she prefers to smoke weed. I know. What a queen. What a real one. But then also blushing Andy Cohen sitting there being like, oh, oh, wow. Like, you know, he didn't say like, oh, me too, girl. And like now everyone who has a phone knows that Andy Cohen is a massive stoner and very proud of it. And it was kind. Of, it was kind of funny to watch him negotiate that because he was still head of the network at that point, and now he's sort of no longer. Well, he stepped down into more of a. Um, he does the Watch What Happens Live thing, and it's more of like an honorary title. But he's not in production there anymore. He that's he got out of that contract so he could do 
like the game show thing he did on on mm-hmm. NBC. Like he he had different um he had a different relationship with Bravo back then, where I think he was more hands on with development. And well, he does say to her, you know, good for you for admitting that. So I think maybe she she made an impression on him by being so open about her. That's true. You know what? Absolutely. I feel like he can be an open, Grateful Dead fan now because of Linda. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So Kat has two daughters, and they moved from London with her to be with Charles. And they're adorable. They are. They're really cute with her, too, the way they interact. They they have a a very, like, um, kid star energy about them to me they just seemed like very comfortable in front of the cameras very excited to chat with their mom yeah they have like honestly I wonder if that's what British kids are like because I would say that I was thinking of ladies of London a lot when I was watching Kat and I just felt like her kids are very smart and very engaged and maybe it is a little bit of like a teen star or like a child star quality but I I also just think that maybe they were very just confident kids that Mm -hmm. we just don't churn out over here in the same way well and she talks to them like they're older like they're she has a really like you know they're her friends good relationship with them it seemed yeah they're much more worldly just by like what they have and she i think cat yeah no cat is someone who probably never spoke to them in baby talk a day in their life oh i can't (laughs) i can't even imagine her trying to do baby talk no she's too snide she's too sassy she seems like someone that wouldn't like animals openly as well. Like, she like, seem like someone who's sort of, like, hoping that you put your dog away. Where animal think- print, but no actual animals. Oh, for sure. Sh- oh, 100%. Like, she's the one that, like, you know, whereas most of us, like, want to get down on the floor and have an orgy with your pets as soon as we walk in, I feel like Kat is, could sort of take or leave any sort of domesticated animal. Um. But yeah, no, Kat's very, Kat's very interesting. And she definitely is, I would say, you know, outside of Mikkel, who just really was with the biggest nightmare person ever. Oh, foul. So foul. That's my opinion on Tarek. And you can quote me. Yeah. Like, you know, Kat definitely was sort of the antagonist for, for a lot of the season. And it's interesting that, you know, Kat and Stacy just were like, oil and water pretty much from the beginning mm-hmm. but Stacy really loved Mikkel um and that and that surprised me because there's Stacy and her husband always just gave me the realist vibes where yes, a 100% yes. you know Mikkel and Tarek are just nightmare people but yeah should we go to Mikkel and Stacy oh, oh, oh let's do Stacy while we're here um I think that you're right she is the realist um, I will say that her intro was the weakest, in my opinion. Her tagline is, DC is my town, and I thrive in it. Which is like, come on, girl. Stacy, yeah, Stacy's too nice for this show. She does give Mikkel and Tarek the benefit of the doubt, like, way longer than she needed to. I mean, she really, and it's kind of touching, because she and, she and Mikkel do bond early on, because she confides in Mikkel, you know, what she's going through with finding her biological parents. Yes. Um, and they obviously bond, but then she really, I mean, I, it's, it's kind of beautiful how much she really wants to believe in Mikkel's good intentions up until, you know, finally at the reunion, we see her like definitely come down on her opinion on them, which is 
that they're liars, but. I almost wonder if Stacy and Mikkel were like two of the people cast that weren't like part of the friend group. Yeah. They weren't easily like ingratiated into that group. And so they sort of had like a little side friendship, which I feel happens a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems from the socials that like Kat and Linda and Mary are all still friends. Whereas you don't see, obviously they don't fuck with Mikkel, but then you also don't really see a lot of Stacy with them either. And if I was Stacy, especially as times have progressed, I wouldn't want anything to do with them either. I, yeah, for sure. I think that's almost why there's like lightning in a bottle with, with this show in particular. I think my experience with most of these kind of lifestyle reality TV shows is at a certain point, it gets kind of exhausting watching people who clearly don't want to be around each other and who are actively, you know, toxic have to kind of still coexist in the same space. You know, it's like eventually you like Lisa, you have to fire these people. Like they don't want to work at your restaurant type of thing. So I'm the, the relationships in this show are so perfect to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I will say though, Stacy did offer something sort of special that seemed more authentic in some ways than all the other women. And I was so devastated when I was going through the updates today to sort of learn slash re-remember that she and her husband did not make it through this experiment. Right. I was disappointed too, because I really liked him. I mean, they were both, I mean, they were, they were arguably our favorites just in the sense that they seemed the most real most relatable, most authentic. Um, and the way he was, su- the way he was supporting her through her finding her biological parents was so touching. Yeah. And I felt like there was just something very like 90s sitcom about the way that they sort of related to each other and like the <laughs> of that family. Like there were so many moments where I was like, can they be this like wholesome? They're so cute together and they have two little girls and, you know, this was, you know, shortly after Obama was elected that this show started. So as the only black woman on this show, I felt her voice was very important versus like a lot of the white women sort of dissecting what it meant to have a black president because it just meant something very different from them, from them. And, you know, what happens with Stacey and sort of like, you know, the mini identity crisis she goes through when she finds out that she was actually, she's actually like half white was very interesting. I mean, her storyline of finding her biological mother who is white and then finding out that, you know, that her birth mother really didn't want anyone to know that she existed and refused to tell her who her father was, who she later finds out is Nigerian and living in Nigeria and has no idea that she exists. All right. Was such a like genuinely touching Real Housewives plotline, like on a just very genuine level, as opposed to I think a lot of the plotlines we see, such as Mary's biggest plotline, which seems to be her closet door. <laughs> well, the lolly of it all. So like, that's why I wanted to make sure we introduced the kids because Mary Amons is fascinating. Um, was it her parents were? Was one of her parents like in Nixon's cabinet? So all I all I got from the the interwebs was that she is the daughter of of a telecom executive. Um, so I don't know about that. I feel like she did talk in the first episode about having connections to previous administrations. 
Yeah, she's very like, so she's from a big DC family and she was one of many kids. And we learn really quickly that she has a sister who is also her daughter's age. So yeah, because she got pregnant at 19 with Lolly. Yeah, pregnant with 19 with Lolly when moved into her childhood bedroom with her husband, Rich. And that's where they started to raise their daughter. But also, let's just even acknowledge that Mary's mom is the type of bitch that has kids for 20 years. Like, do you think that's so (laughs) insane to me? Like, in in a way that I sort of have to applaud it. Like, when a woman who starts having babies at 21 has one at 41, like, that's truly was like a jump the shark moment for a show like Roseanne. So like the fact that so many Americans, which is, it's so true, have kids for 20 years is just mind blowing to me. Well, when she, when, when that line of dialogue was opened, I was then expecting let's meet the 20 year old sister. I was expecting then the plot line to be, you know, Lolly and her aunt to be running amok in DC. But I feel like, yeah, no, I feel like if anything, the rest of the Amons family, like Mary's an outlier in a way. And I feel like the rest of the family probably wouldn't have participated based on sort of how highly she spoke of her family and their role in DC. Um, But yeah, so she has five kids and the oldest one, Lolly, is incredibly, uh, she's a huge plot line in this, in this season. Yes. She keeps taking her mom's clothes. She takes her mom's clothes. (laughs) She takes other things too without permission, as far as we know. She's back Um, home with her, her poorly trained large dog and the dog shits all over the house. Yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, Mary sort of compares her situation and Lolly's situation many times, but, you know, I don't think Mary had the type of access Lolly had when she was a teenager and she definitely didn't have a child. So like Lolly's behavior is, um, truly like millennial, parenthood where it's like this is what i think lolly is what a lot of people think we are when they talk about millennials and now i did check in on where she is now she has an edibles company she runs her own little cannabis lolly does yes okay and because mary's an interior designer now that's fascinating about lolly sells edibles um so she you know it's said in the show that she wants to she wants to pursue art and i think she found her art which is brownies (laughs) So I'm happy for her. So do we know what Lolly is short for? Because I am. It's haunting me. It's I know Lolly is. It's very hard. No matter how many times I've watched this show, I've never gotten totally into it. I mean, I think it could just be the name that you, you know, she was 19 when she had her and that's the name that she named her. I don't know what (laughs) Lolly could be short for. Lolita. Oh, true. Lola. Oh, yeah. True, Lola. There's things. Um, Let's see. I will say that Mary was one that I didn't dislike. I didn't like. I found, you know, I would say the most offensive thing about her is that that god awful cross necklace that she wears, right? With the long bottom to it. That she is still wearing to this day. Mm -hmm. It was an eyesore for me. I was distracted by it. Yeah, I mean, Mary's biggest issues, I would say, were just are just sort of like a lack of a general awareness. <laughs> you know, like she's very um 
she's very much, I would say, what a lot of people would consider to be a problem where she sort of just like bops through life, you know, like she's very much like the likable one that you're drawn to. But then once like the veneer starts to come off after she's had a couple glasses of wine, you're like, girl, what are you saying? Like, what are you? What do you mean? integrate hair salons i'm confused about your platform here and she's a little bit of like the you know when she talks to black women she does a little bit of like the girl and like when she talks to Mm -hmm. gay men she appeals to them sort of in that similar way and it's like you know it was i guess somewhat in fashion or permissible at the time but now it's just you watch it and you're like oh my god cringe and then you put on top of it that she was a republican which you know i i would hope that a lot of these sort of republicans when we think about what people declared themselves when they said they were a republican years ago i think it meant something very different than it does now right. um i mean but- as far as i can tell none of them are Trump supporters. And it seems actually like Mary has made some posts on her Instagram that suggests that she is very much not a supporter. I mean, Linda, you know, posted a black square. (laughs) Oh, girl, good for you. You know, (laughs) I will say if like if a 66 year old woman or whatever is out there posting a black square, I'm going to forgive her for it. I think that that shows, you know, well, if if it came from a person my age, I'd be like, did you not get the memo but for linda i feel like that's some improvement based on just the the women that we've talked about i am curious to get your opinion so when the show got canceled of course there there was the scandal with all the salihis which we we introduce them oh my god okay no yes let's do that Mikkel, Mikkel, whose tagline is, people have a hard time saying no to me. And that's just been my blessing. (laughs) Iconic. I mean, she is such an iconic social climber. And she has continued to climb. She worked as a makeup girl at Nordstrom. And then she married Tariq. 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 Who has, he inherited this failing vineyard which is at the point of this show bankrupt and non-operational which they take several episodes to finally address she claimed did you catch this in the first episode when when she was talking with edwina she claimed to have been a lobbyist at at some point yes mikhail has claimed to be a lot of things which is like (laughs) such a thing that you know she's a grifter they're both grifters and you know there's a whole thing where it's like she had claimed that she was a football like cheerleader and it turns out she didn't even go to the school and never was a cheerleader and then she sort of says in the reunion like oh no like I meant like I was like a cheerleader like I meant like I was always out there for them and I was just like that girl that was always with the cheer squad and it's very um (laughs) like that's not how language works Mikkel (laughs) no but like it is unfortunately with a lot of people it is and like it's kind of great because she really thought she could go on TV peddling the same spiel that she has her entire life that could easily be disproven with a simple Google search or a call to a university. And, you know, her her stories about herself didn't hold up. I mean, there is something almost to be admired about just the absolute I love it. brazenness I love it. of her and her husband. Like, they don't, 
they don't crack till the end, they will not admit to any wrongdoing. I mean, that is some serious dedication. Yeah, like, why would you, by the way? Like, this is really, we. this is what I think most people don't understand because, like, I don't understand it, but then I watch something like this and I'm like, Molly, get it through your head. Like, you probably talk to people like this every day. They fully just act as if. They, whatever it is that they want to tell you they're doing, they're going to tell you. And it's, you know, it's so interesting with Tarek because from what I understood from the, what they showed on the show and maybe going back into my mental archives a little bit about what I must have looked up after, it's, I believe that Tarek early inherited this vineyard from his family, but whether or not he actually owned it was contested by his living mother. Mm-hmm. And when they had the show, like, you know, when they went out to the vineyard, there was uh like PIs everywhere trying to figure out what was going on. And it was a whole thing about how to get into the vineyard. And it's very rare that you see like a parent actively fighting their child over a piece of real estate in like in life. Like it just doesn't happen. That's usually you wait for everyone to die to become weird about family real estate. So here's the tea. So Tarek's father became the owner of an estate farm after he retired and it became one of Virginia's first like farm wineries. And then according to court papers, you know, at its prime, it was like gaining, grossing as much as a million a year. It won like worldwide championships. Tarek went to school, got a degree in business and studied wine. And then he developed Oasis Enterprises, which was separate from the Oasis Winery. It was like a, a tourism events catering. Oh, operation. and that's actually, I, I do know of of things like that, where it's like, you know, oh, you can use the family name, but you have to make sure it's a separate entity, mm-hmm. like, and make that very clear in your marketing, et cetera. Yeah. And so that is actually a huge deal. So all of the lawsuits that they allude to in the show, it happened when his mother um, alleged that assets were being uh, misdirected from the winery to Oasis Enterprises. And then he made a bunch of counter allegations and then was looking for investors to buy out the property from his parents. Okay. And then in 2008, they filed for bankruptcy. Okay. The winery, and then one year later, Tarek's father died. And then, oh, this was, side note, in 2011, which was after the show had already aired, Mikkel was sued by two different parties for taking payments for wine tours. That never happened. She is, yeah, she is really bad at at that. That's one thing she's really bad with, and that is established even in the first episode, that they are not people of their word. They, they don't come through or they come through in weird ways. And the faux pas are endless with these two. I mean, it truly is big new money energy. Like, Mikkel is clearly the hottest woman who's a little bit kooky that he could possibly get. Because you have to be a little bit kooky. You have to be like Mikkel where it's like, is she also a grifter? Or is she like a little, you know? There's that thing where it's like, is she in on it or is she being taken advantage of by the sky and she really toes that line of like do we think that she is up to no good or is she like truly so unaware 
it wouldn't be very feminist of me to like say what is my instinct, which is that say it. just a little like, <laughs> you know, like a little dumb. But I mean, she is married to someone from Journey now. Like, obviously, this is a woman who always knew that she was going to play. I'm of I'm of the mindset that she was in on everything and that she is like on the same level as Tarek personally. That's just how I see her. But I do want to talk about like the three major controversies surrounding Mikkel and Tarek that we see on the show. Yes. I mean, we, we touched on the Oasis winery. The other one, which they, they really don't spend very long on, but was truly egregious to me is of course, when she agrees to host Paul Wharton, the stylist, Mm-hmm. She agrees to host his birthday party. And then, of course, they, her and her husband arrive late because they were contacting the party planners and basically saying, we will not arrive at this party until you sign documentation saying that we are not responsible to pay for a single thing. So basically, they threw this elaborate party for Paul and then saddled him with the bill without telling him that that's what they were going to do. Right. And it was also like under the guise that they, you know, they tried to flip it and say like, oh, we're not paying for the party. We're providing the wine. But I believe they dropped off like two cases of wine to this party. And we're like, yeah, that's what we meant by providing the wine. And everyone's sort of standing there like, dude. I believe Paul said they brought one bottle of champagne. Oh, Oh, right. (laughs) And they like use the saber to chop it open, which by the way, I guess is a fun show, but I'm always like, use a cheap bottle to do that because half of it's going on the floor. Like we know that when you take a sword to a bottle of champagne that you're just going to lose some of it. But um, yeah, they, they brought like nothing. And when you send out an invitation, especially because I feel like you know, one of my reservations about watching this show when it first came out was like, I don't want to show about politics, but like, you know, cause I just was like, I didn't, I didn't think that that would be interesting, but it is the flavor that's added here is sort of like the, the tradition of a lot of this stuff and sort of that like old American stuff where it's like, if you say you're going to host an event, it means you're doing X, Y, and Z. And that's sort of expected of you. And you don't take on the responsibility unless you're willing to do that. And they, these women really conduct themselves in this way. Whereas I would say it's sort of a continuing theme on all of the other franchises that these women constantly are breaking the rules or taking like very wavy interpretations of what they mean into into consideration that was what's so fascinating about this show and and what i was actually going to ask earlier is so you know when it got canceled you know they mentioned you know it was because of the scandal and and michael and Tarek and all that stuff but i was wondering because watching it i think both abby and i were surprised by how many issues were tackled and i mean is that's that doesn't seem like it would be it would be happening on the other installments. Do you think it was polarizing? No, I think that honestly, it really did come down to the fact that a major security issue was posed that caused cost the production company a lot of money and a lot of attention they didn't want because Bravo was, you know, filming pretty much everything they could the day leading up to uh, Mikel and Tarek breaking into the White House Black Caucus dinner Uh, And also they were like sort of hovering outside a little bit. So they were, you know, I think that all of that attention 
for a franchise that was still fairly new at this point. You know, Real Housewives, I think, you know, OC had had a few good seasons. Um, This was after New Jersey premiered, but I think before Beverly Hills. So I feel like this was just a really scary thing for Bravo, which Mm -hmm. is especially at the time was, you know, always sort of viewed, I think, as like a little bit of a discount cable network. Like that's why we loved that Kathy Griffin had a show on there. That's why we... Amazing show. Yeah, that's why we enjoyed that stuff because Bravo was always a little bit of like a yard sale of a network. <laughs> and this was just, I think, a little bit too real for them. I think, honestly, if this exact same series of events had happened with Real Housewives of New York, it would have been totally different because they were an established franchise and because they would make all the money back on the back end. But I think that this was just such a um, a scary thing for them. And, you know, you have to remember that every single se- like season or series franchise city of, of Real Housewives is produced by different production companies. Mm-hmm. So they're not like, you know, it's whatever production company was behind DC didn't want to continue to take on that liability. And I I just don't think that they were. Yeah, this was like, I think this was an exception. And even the fans at the time, you know, voiced their disappointment, but there was no campaign to get this back the way there was with Jericho or whatever the fuck that show was when everyone was mailing pencils. Like there was no, (laughs) there was no sort of thing like that. It was just like, okay, yeah, we get it. And also Bravo moved fast at the time. There was a lot of one season wonders from that era. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head with the, the biggest controversial events of the season, which are, you know, the first event, which is when, Mikkel and Tarek sneak in through the kitchen with two guests that were not aware that this was going to be the situation to the Congressional Black Caucus dinner, uninvited. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Mikkel and Tarek had to be escorted out by Secret Service. And then the, the final event of the series, which is ultimately its demise, which is Mikkel and Tarek crashing the state dinner, Obama's first state dinner, uninvited as well, which was to honor the prime minister of India, I believe. You know what? You're so right. Because yes, they were, I completely forgot. So the first one, I think Stacy might have gone to them with or someone who went with them sort of, oh no, it was Ted. It, it was, was Ted, Ted and his husband, the Ted two and the his hairdressers. Husband went to the Black Hawkus dinner and they were sort of laughing about how, oh, like, yeah, when we got there, we didn't have seats. And so they just told us to put some napkins down, like where wherever there seemed to be an empty seat and that we would just sort of work the room all night. And there was this like discomfort around it. But I have to say, like, I feel like that's something I would have done when I was 23 and moved to L.A., where I'm like, yeah, we'll just like make it work. Like once we get in there, just like keep moving until they realize we're not supposed to be there. Oh, in general, it's like I have a kind of respect for crashing events that you're uninvited, that you're not invited to. And I think that it, it, it impresses me that Mikkel and, and Tarek are so committed to the lie and to, you know, continuously going to events that they're not invited to. I think it being the White House is the is the element of like ultimate controversy because of course then it's like this huge secret like Secret Service security breach and you just right. know like tons of people lost their jobs because they let 
Mikel Salahi into this party. And then, you know, also, of course, because this is D.C., where it's like, you know, politics shows up in every sort of aspect of your being there, right? Like, um, Kat was disinvited to a party because they thought it was, like, unseemly that Kat was associated with these people. So she felt those effects. And, like... Yeah, she was uninvited to the White House Christmas party. Stacy's a real estate agent. And, like, you know, that's a very social business as well. Almost all of your clientele is, like, wrecked out somehow, especially if you're very successful. And, like, you know, Linda very much lived in, you know, Georgetown. And she was, you know, just a prominent modeling agency person and mary of course was tied to political families so she was like you know they were all very much mortified not just because of the security issues but just because of the faux pas and not wanting to be associated with people that would be so disrespectful because for a lot of people and i don't think people necessarily like that this time is at the forefront of their brains at all times but the president used to be the most respected office in the nation. <laughs> and it used to be something that was incredibly sacred and you just didn't fuck with it. Like it truly was, you know, when it comes down to etiquette and everything else, the reverence that we're supposed to pay the president of the United States of America is just on a different level. And we, we, that's been lost. Like we have not seen that. And I feel like we've been so lost in that world. It's almost hard to remember it anymore because once social media really started to become a place where people talked politics a lot, I think that it changed because like now people can just tweet at politicians like, fuck you. You know what I mean? And like that sort of like <laughs> day to day manners thing has been lost. But I felt like that their, their sense of mortification was more like dignity preserving, preserving than it was anything else. It was really honestly a lot about dignity. I felt with this cast, which is not, again, not a typical theme on real housewives. Yeah. As a decent person with, you know, a solid head on my shoulders, I think, you know, I, I could understand the shock, the awe, the disgust, but as, you know, a viewer of reality TV, it was absolutely delicious. It was jaw dropping. It was, it felt, it felt like brilliant. Like this is brilliant television that I am watching. Just oh, the way that, that Bravo managed to cast this woman, you know, from an audition tape that would end up, crashing the White House state dinner while during production is honestly lightning in a bottle. Some people have the West Wing and, you know, we have the Real Housewives of DC. So to like loop back really quickly to Paul, right? Who had his birthday yeah. party. I feel like him and Mikel had a special relationship because especially with Mikel coming, you know, starting at the bottom at the Nordstrom mm -hmm. makeup counter and becoming this, you know, wife to a multi-millionaire and having this, you know, insane, just like her birthday present, or I think, it, yeah, it was her birthday present was like, they just came by her hotel room with like a selection of designer items and he was like, <laughs> pick a few. And it was like, you know, for, for someone like Paul, that must've been so fabulous to see his friend have this comeuppance and think like, Oh God, you know, I'm in here too. I'm going to be taken care of. And it's certainly not like Paul was a handout. I mean, he was friends with just about every woman on this show and they're all, you know, high profile in this city. Um, but it, it kind of hurt worse because he very much rode for Mikel. Like when Linda, 
you know, started picking apart Mikel's body, which I feel in, you know, in the tradition of this show, typically when the cast members accuse each other of anorexic, uh, anorexic behaviors, it is always the skinniest women doing it. And to me, that always reads as all of you bitches are doing the same thing. And you just want to call out the one that's the most obvious. So you don't. Molly, she did not call her anorexic. She just said that she needed a burger and milkshake, as she will remind us. Right. No, you're right. And you're right. (laughs) You know, to Linda's credit, she only said that. But like, you know, it's kind of rich coming from the modeling scout that you're nervous about other people's diets when, you know, and especially I, I kind of really loved the way that Paul in his silence stood up for her. He didn't really take it as a moment to be bitchy about Mikel. He really like, you know, was he stood up for her. He's like, her face looks good. And Linda's like, no, I can count her bones. And, you know, he just didn't, he didn't give into it, which I feel like on our worst day, almost everyone wants to do that and be like, oh, I know. Paul, Paul really is one of my favorites and he is genuinely one of the best parts of the show. And also as like this presence of he is black and he's also gay and marriage equality also plays like a role in this season because 2009 was when marriage equality was legalized in DC and the, all of the women on the show sort of engaged with that a little bit. And was um, it, I don't think it was marriage equality. I don't think that happened until 2016. I think it was like, you could be, um, I'm sorry. What, what was the word before well, just marriage, the civil union. Civil union. Oh, okay, I, and I, I'm referring. But to I, I just, do think that just marriage was in D.C. I feel like I read somewhere, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I think it's oh. just the right to marry in the District of Columbia, not nationally. Well, there's, there's, there's in fact a whole scene where they meet with this politician who is like the main sort of lobbyist for marriage equality in D.C. at the time, and um, Mary is there linda is there cat is there paul as well as stacy and linda is the one who's the most vocal of being like super duper in support of gay marriage cat also is in support of it and mary is like sort of getting interested and we see lolly kind of like get her to kind of come around to just like how important it is to her personally and then um, Stacy is the one, Stacy and her husband are the ones that are really not sure how they feel about it and ultimately seem to be against marriage equality. And that was okay. another scene with Paul where Paul is like, I'm not really sure why you're my friend. Like directly. Like, it does dis- feel like we were cheated a bit out of the scene, you know, mm-hmm. on a, in a whole genre of television that's built on confrontation. It's like you kind of just want to see Paul and Stacy sit down and talk this, but I guess you know, out of out of out of all the housewives that he's friends with, we see him spend the least amount of time with Stacy. Yeah, I wonder if they had like a real relationship or if they had just sort of become acquainted because of the show. It seems like probably after he finds out that she doesn't support gay marriage, they probably didn't have much of a relationship after that. And I feel like that would come up fairly early in your friendship with someone if you guys were real friends right like if they had been friends for five years or something that probably wouldn't have happened on camera i mean he does seem particularly surprised in the scene when he finds out that she doesn't support it so i think that they probably didn't know each other very intimately 
Yeah, and you know, I will say that 2010 was such an interesting year for this to have taken place because obviously we've come so far in a decade. Um, but it's interesting to see sort of how they dance around some of these subjects while also hitting them right on the head at the same time. Like they will yeah. inject a lot of energy into something and then just sort of let it diffuse in a way that, yeah, I would say that some franchise ha- franchises have that in common. I would say like, you know, the antithesis of what happens on this season is really Beverly Hills where they spend the entire season talking about something like, you know, Pantygate where it's like one time (laughs) someone saw Erica Jane's panties and sent an inappropriate text about it. And then it was talked about for, you know, 24 episodes. Beverly Hills is more like my point of reference for Real Housewives, which is why I was so taken with this show because it just did appear to have like so much more depth while still being very much a Real Housewives show. As much as we like to really come from Mikkel, which I greatly take joy in, none of the housewives, I, I think with the exception of Stacy, none of the housewives do come across super duper well here, seeing as Linda, Mary, and Kat all display some racism throughout this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. No, I agree. And I think that... You know, they all do. In a, I mean, Mikkel, too. Like, just the way she was at the fucking Jay-Z concert or whatever it was. Like, just seeing her like, <laughs> dance around. Like, I'm like, oh, you really think you're cool that you were invited somewhere by black people. Like, I mean, and, it was and a little, I suppose, oh, God. It's like cringe, you know? I suppose it's, she did sneak into the Black Caucus dinner uninvited. I, mean, I guess one point, <laughs> yeah, and her showing up in a sari to a party she wasn't invited to at the White House as well. Like, I mean, the sari was beautifully done. But, you know, for someone who wasn't invited, you sure went out of your way. It's just, yeah, I mean, you know, they're all like, it's, it, this really is like a time capsule in a way mm-hmm. that I feel like should be revisited more, especially considering everything that's happened in the last, you know, 10 years or so. It, this is just such an interesting thing to see how far we've come in terms of, uh, you know, a franchise that's never been afraid to go there. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. And I, I think that, by the way, a, an issue with, Um, Beverly Hills is that it sort of was a non-starter outside of the Kim and Kyle of it all and so Mm -hmm. that show really thrived on the Kim and Kyle drama for a while and then like you know you got the fabulous appearances of Lisa Vanderpump and then we got Brandy and Brandy started to spice stuff up but Beverly Hills doesn't have the foundation of sort of mess that a lot of these cities naturally have where I feel like you know New York is so incestual um, where you know just everyone's everywhere they've all slept with the same men they're you know they're all it's Manhattan but then with Jersey they're all literally family And, you know, this is, it's so, it just, you know, this is interesting because they were starting a really nice foundation here for stuff that could have blown up over seasons. And I feel like a lot of us have gotten bored with Beverly Hills, for example, because, you know, LA is such a spread out city and like none of these women would ever meet or really interact outside of brief, you know, appearances at the same charity dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, once every six months but dc also felt insular in the way that manhattan did where you felt like no matter what these women were definitely on each other's radar yeah they do say again and again that it's a small town and it does seem that mary and linda at the very least were already friends and then mary was also already 
acquainted with Stacy and like friends with ten for ten years with Stacy's friend um Erica. Erica. And so much they definitely like Linda bought makeup at Nordstrom. From <laughs> Mikel. So right. And I feel like Mary is that bitch, by the way. Like I feel like Mary and I do have this in common where, you know, I would bring the Nordstrom makeup lady home for dinner. Like that is 100% who I am to the point where my friends are like, why do you meet these random people and adopt them? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause she was really fucking nice to me at Nordstrom. And like, we had a nice day. <laughs> why wouldn't she come home for dinner? Like I feel Mary is a little that where I felt like she actually had a more solid foundation of a relationship with Mikel. But She is pretty warm and like family oriented. Can we touch on Linda and Mikkel's instant oil and water moment in the premiere where... Are you referring to the goat rodeo? The goat rodeo, honey, and why Linda <laughs> won't go, which is because, you know, this is the America's Polo Cup, which to me sounds like as official as the Kentucky Derby, where I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. that sounds like a really big deal, like the America's Polo Cup. The opening event of the Real Housewives of DC is, of course, this polo event that seems to be organized to some degree by Mikkel, who from the jump is just displaying what I would describe as manic energy. She's running around. She's hugging everyone and their mother. She's kissing Paul on the lips. She's telling Edwina Rogers that she was a lobbyist. Oh, 100%. And also, like, this is where we get into a little bit of the Adderall conversation, the Concerta conversation from earlier, which is she definitely has that energy. Like, she woke up, popped a 30 MG Concerta, and Linda is not invited. Paul asks about that because he and Linda, I think, you know, she is his true good Judy, I think, and she's he's like where's linda and she's like oh you know she didn't buy a ticket but that's okay a lot of other fabulous people bought tickets here so this is fine and i think that she's sort of you know negging linda and paul decides to you know he he engages a little bit more in that than he did with linda about mikhail's problems but you know linda says that she doesn't go to that goat rodeo because she used to send people to that. Like she used to send professional acquaintances to somehow be involved in this event. But then for some reason they never got paid. And she, I think she, she donated her models. Yeah. And she said, it's just not good business for me to work with them if they're not going to pay people. So this is, that was when I first started to understand, okay, not only is this how that city works, which you would think is how a lot of cities work, but I feel like depending on the, you know, ebbs and flows of fame and relevancy in certain cities, some people just stick with the cheap weirdos because they have some sort of influence. But like Linda's like, no, they don't pay their debts. They're not people of their word. I'm not fucking with that. And it's, a you know, a stance I think people traditionally should and do take, but it, it seems significant here in a different way. I think, yeah, we mentioned like the way the show brings up issues, but it scurries around them a bit. One of the things that I, that I do wish they talked about more was the classism of it all, specifically with, you know, um, Mikkel, you know, they keep referencing, you know, her Nordstrom days and look, are her and her buzz husband sleazeballs? Yes, but it's like they're lying because people like you make them feel bad. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the part of Mikkel that I kind of sympathize with. And I would like to think she's not so diabolical because, you know, tr- like fer- very famously, Teresa Judice went to jail or she went to prison because her husband right. was doing deals with her name on it. And Teresa sort of looked the other way. And I kind of would like to think that Mikkel you know, maybe had an idea that her husband was a shrewd businessman, but didn't really know exactly how fucked up what he was doing. And that's the part that sort of made me, makes me feel for her in terms of the classism, because if she was like really honestly a gangster and she was just like fully doing illegal shit for no reason, I would have less sympathy for her. But when they were saying, you know, like when they were just being like, Oh, she's the Nordstrom makeup lady who married up, you know, little Michaela. And it's like, that's not even her name. (laughs) She goes by anyway. And I felt like Michaela, when, whenever Linda would call her that it felt like a classist dig as well, because to someone like Linda, that would not be considered a prestigious name. Oh, and there's, there's actually a really great moment when Paul, who is, definitely very close with Linda as well as Mikkel. He hears, you know, Linda calling Mikkel a social climber, referring to her as Michaela, dragging her for marrying Rich. And he makes a little comment like, um, you know, homegirl Linda did not, you know, she's not self-made. She's not rich because of the artist agency that she runs. You know, she married Rich. So she's, it's kind of weird for her to be standing on this high horse, like looking down at Mikkel when she kind of did the same thing. You know, it's interesting because I didn't really know a lot about Linda's wealth, but now that you mention it, it's just another strike against her that she got her money from maybe her first or second marriage, probably her first marriage, and was like dogging on just the concept of a husband. Because I do think that, you know, when you get a nice payout from the bad husband, just maybe don't publicly shit on him. (laughs) If, like, your lifestyle is possible because of the first husband, maybe just, you know, don't shit on the idea of marriage altogether because it is what got you where you are. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Paul, like, calls out in her, which I appreciated. While we're talking about the first episode, the other (laughs) big event that happened is, you know, Stacey holds a dinner party to kind of meet Kat and we learn that Kat hates Tyra Banks and seems to favor George Bush over Obama because, you know, Obama didn't show up to an event or Despite something. Despite the fact that she does say that she would rather be six feet under than ever be a Republican. It was one of these moments because, you know, that dramatic TV music struck when she said that she hates Tyra Banks. And it was this out-of-body experience to think that an entire conflict could arise over someone, you know, not having a favorable view of America's Next Top Model host. Well, okay, so let's look at this for what it is. Okay, so she's British, so she's a Naomi Campbell fan, as we all should be, right? Secondly, history has not been kind to Tyra Banks. And let's face it, one of the things we all liked about Tyra Banks, especially when Top Model was in its heyday, was that she's a little kooky. Tyra's like a Mm -hmm. little kooky. And I feel like British people would find that to be very gauche. And I feel like they she probably saw her and was just like, she's kind of gauche. She's kind of a mess. You know, like when she would have her talk show and she would pretend to like have a seizure during like the cold open of her talk show, like the monologue, whatever, you know, Tyra would do shit like that where she would be like, 
you know, five minutes into her show and she's pretending she's possessed by a demon. Like, oh, I could <laughs> see a British person finding that to be very off-putting. I mean, what we, what we love about Tyra is what other people hate. One of my favorite moments in TV history is Tyra Banks having Naomi Campbell on the Tyra show with no audience. The, you know, the grainy cam camcorder opening with her in bed talking about her anxiety. And then the entire interview, Naomi Campbell being so confused, not having a single idea what Tyra's talking about. <laughs> right. Because, yeah, no, it was, that was some real lesson in, like, ego. That episode, from what I remember, where it's like, honey, not everyone is going to remember the thing that hurt you specifically with the same accuracy that you will. Like, she was sort of confronting her about things where I'm like, that seems like a quiet moment that probably did not mean much to Naomi Campbell, but obviously very much impacted you. And I feel like if you had just read the four agreements, none of us had to go through this. Yeah, I definitely felt like the main thing about Kat's dislike of Tyra Banks that stuck out stuck out was the impression that she does of Tyra which does seem a little racially coded. Oh, I, I didn't, that, I don't remember that because I don't think I rewatched that today. During that scene, she does, because who cares if she likes Tyra Banks or not, right? I don't care. I mean, I love Tyra, but like, I love Tyra as she is. I get why Kat would not respond to the persona of Tyra Banks, but she does an impression of Tyra, which I think is just supposed to be like, oh, Tyra's ridiculous and like, here's like her mannerisms or whatever, but it comes across as, it, I mean, it does seem very racial. And so that is the catalyst, I think, for then Erica and Stacy having understandably like a really bad taste in their mouth around Kat because she's done this sort of like racial impression of Tyra. And then later on at Stacy's like family dinner party, she's like super rude and standoffish to Stacy's godmother. So that dinner party is like really like what I want to sink my teeth into. But like I will say though. That the George Bush thing, I fully want to take as the fact that most co other countries are, our Republican Party is closer to what they live, but we just don't have all the other things that we really truly need from like a more socialist society, right? So like Canada, if you vote whatever their version of Republican is, it's nothing like what our version of Republican is. And I think that honestly, Kat just is not that invested in American politics and she has no reason to, she can be a spectator. And so her saying, you know, I like George Bush better, you know, that's like saying, you know, I like fucking Miller Lite better. Like, I mean, it's honestly like to her, it was just like sort of a passing thing where it's like, I just preferred this because of that one time this happened and it didn't have the same, it wasn't sensitive. I do wonder though, you know, that, that dinner was pretty, especially when you rewatched it now at the time, it was like very much like, oh, sometimes you go to other people's houses and, like, the vibe is just weird. And, like, especially she was very uncomfortable with the fact that they were drinking, I believe it was scotch. Oh, well, she was drinking from a bottle of wine that she thought was really old like and odd coloring to me. Well, because she passed on the brown liquor that they were all drinking. Right. That was, like, the house drink. And she's like, oh, no, I don't drink that. Is there wine? And sometimes, like, when you go to someone's house and you don't want to drink the house cocktail, they do have some random other drink for you. And it's not 
it doesn't, it's like, oh, okay, this is gross. Like now I'm going to hang out at this party and drink this gross drink. And this is uncomfortable because like, it's just uncomfortable. Right. But it did seem so racial to me. It seemed very much classist as well because Stacy's family is very real. She lives, her family lives in like a, you know, like, you know, smaller house, like probably not in the chicest neighborhood. And they're having a real Sunday dinner where they come together and they have all their sides and everyone's feeling themselves and they're drinking, you know, liquor. And it just, Kat was so, um, she didn't know how to swim at all. Yeah. Well, this to me is why later on in the big confrontation between Kat and Erica, I I didn't feel like Erica's argument or delivery was particularly tasteful or strong. But it was one of these things where Kat, as someone who claims to, you know, call it like she sees it, seems to um, pretend that she doesn't know that what she's doing is hurtful, despite purposefully, you know, pushing people's buttons when she dresses up like Sarah Palin. You know, like she clearly likes making people uncomfortable. She likes ticking them off. She likes making snide comments like her lunch with Edwina, who I have to say is the first coming of bisexual queen Carol Baskin. (laughs) My mind. Wait, Carol Baskin's bisexual. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Tiger King, but I first of all, I love that. Great. I had That's no clue. I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, yeah, Carol Baskin is a queer icon now. <laughs> right. I was gonna. I was gonna laugh and say, yeah, Molly. She, I'm sure she's about as great for the bisexual community as Jodi Arias is for the <laughs> like legal community or whatever. But like, no, truly, like, you know. I will say the thing with Kat, and I do think Kat has a weird personality, for sure. I am not even for a second going to pretend that Kat isn't just generally sort of off. But I will say that there is a language barrier that does exist between us and the British and us and the Australians that like we don't think about enough because we all generally speak the same language, right, on paper. But I think it is important to remember that they have like a different code of conduct and a different way of expression that is just, you know, and I can only imagine 10 years ago how much more amplified it was. Yeah, I mean, definitely a Before the Love Island of it all. Yeah, and it's like, well, like, you know, not just the fact that you can't understand half of those people on Love Island truly, but I mean, like, just like in the way of like what's, what type of like attitude something is said with that makes all the difference and something that might've been considered cheeky or, you know, whatever by her peers would be considered completely rude or overly blunt or whatever from to an American. Like, it's just like, why would you ever say that? And not in a way that we would automatically interpret. Sometimes it goes for me, I find it goes much deeper than that. Yeah. I would definitely extend like some, Grace to Cat, just based on the fact that like she does come from like a drier and a little more like direct sense of humor. I think her best moment for me was when she's getting lunch with this Republican healthcare lobbyist, Edwina. And she she just straight up to Edwina's face is like, Yeah, when I heard you were a Republican healthcare lobbyist, I thought that was a little bit of an oxymoron. And truly, like you can see how uncomfortable she's making Edwina by like calling her out on the Republicans having like 
oh for bad healthcare plan which i really appreciated in in terms of a in terms of a culture or language barrier like she's not dumb like she's seeing how these people are reacting to it and is seeming to take pleasure in in the reaction so i'm just confused as to why she would pretend to be you know so so caught off guard when someone calls her mean <laughs> right no i know i mean i i do think you know cat does have a very strange personality and that's just the truth about her is she has a very strange personality and i think that she you know she does take a lot of getting used to um that's pretty obvious i mean even just sort of the way she communicated with charles was very polarizing um, and I would say that Charles did show up as a little bit of a dick on the show, but think about it. Like you're actively working in, in the white house and your wife is on this, on this show. It's like, seems to be like that would probably come up regularly. I mean, I'm surprised well, the fact that he agreed to be yeah, on the show. I'm surprised that he as Obama's photographer would even consent to being on the show. And I guess in hindsight, he regretted it because then of course we find out in the reunion that he'd left Kat, like, before the show even aired, um, without even saying goodbye to his stepchildren. So he definitely ended up having an opinion about it all. But yeah, with Kat, I mean, I think from her perspective, like, what, what I would kind of gather is that she doesn't find her snide, sort of sassy, and ultimately rude comments to be personal. It's just, like, her firing off her opinions and being very, like, brash, Whereas the way she interprets, like the way that Erica was talking to her as like being super personal and super pointed. And that's where I would see like a language barrier and just like a cultural barrier. Okay, something we have to talk about this moment because it then spawns off a series of scenes that really solidified the show to me as, you know, a gem. And it's, it's the, the limo ride to Oasis Winery, where we first of all discover that um, Mikkel and Tarek snuck into the Congressional Black Caucus dinner. And of course, the place, the, the time when they accuse Lolly of stealing their car. This- well, sandwiched in between those two, sandwiched in between those two moments are them stomping on grapes that are store bought. Dude, I could faint. Sending I could I could faint about all of this. I will say before <laughs> we get into the dinner, I will just say while we talk about all this other stuff, I want you to you guys to remember that Mikkel and Tarek have known about what they're going to drop at dinner. They knew about it before the the limo left their houses that day. You're so right. They knew about it all through the grape stomp, and none. It was never mentioned, right? And it and the thing that kills me about that is because if you've ever, you know, had a nice day with someone, and it finally gets down to like, you know, you're having your evening meal, and they drop a bomb on you, and you realize that they've been holding that back from you during all of these other things. I, if that's ever happened to you in your life, I feel like it's maybe happened to me two or three times. It's like, you know, mostly with like my mom, honestly, where you're just like, you fucking were thinking about this all day, and you let me live this whole day thinking that things were great. Oh, it, now, it's so, it's now you it's tell me. So horrid. The way they have her stomping on store-bought grapes on their vineyard, secretly holding in, <laughs> secretly holding in all this information, you know, that they supposedly, you know, allegedly have the FBI investigating her daughter 
for Grand Theft Auto. It's atrocious. So they, so this, the people who go are Scott and Stacy, and then Kat, and then Mary. Mary by herself. Mary's stag to this event. And they're all sort of laughing about how, oh, Mikkel said we were going to be riding horses or whatever. And they're all just in jeans and sweaters, you know, in what they think is appropriate attire. And they get there, and Mikkel is in full horse riding regalia she's in the pants she's got the boots and she looks like she just came out of like a you know ralph Lauren would be generous but like the idea <laughs> the idea is there she doesn't have that all-american girl look that you want in your ralph Lauren models but like or ralph lauren models but like she has this whole like you know she looks very the part and as far as i remember that's actually a separate event when they come over for the horseback riding and then when they come Wait. over for the yeah, oh, okay. when, when they come over right. for the grape crushing, it's a different event like a few weeks later. So they've already like kind of bonded with Mikkel because they enjoyed horseback riding with her. Then they so come over. Is Kat wearing white pants during the grape stomp? She's refusing to participate. And I think she, I don't know what pants she was wearing, but she was definitely wearing leopard. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember thinking that at least one of their outfits was like, I think it was Kat's cause Kat winds up leaving. Right. Well, because yeah. Mikkel's assistant famously calls Kat a bitch and then Kat <laughs> declares everything to be bollocks, including Tarek to his face. What do you think about an assistant calling a guest a bitch? Because in one- I love one, it. Yeah, I kind of love it. Like, I kind of like- Oh, I love like, the boldness. I love the boldness. It's everything you wish you could say yeah, to an employer. Yeah, because it's like, you know that she probably has heard Mikkel refer to Kat as a bitch. And she pro- she probably knows that no matter what, her job is cemented there. So she can get away with it. And it didn't hurt her. I mean, she still worked for them as far as the rest of the season went. She became more of like an equal really quickly on this season. It seems like she's definitely friends with Mikkel and she- in addition to being the assistant. And she does say later that like, she said that because she was standing up for Mikkel because Kat, I mean, Kat is openly antagonistic toward Mikkel, even though she's a guest in her home. She is rude. Like I get why this girl, if she's really good friends with Mikkel would feel the need to stand up for her friend. And I did think it was pretty like impressive that she would have the gall to like call Kat a bitch in front of everyone on camera at this party. I agree. And there's something about Mikkel that's like inherently not effortless. And I feel like that's what, <laughs> what Kat is like fun of her for is because like Mikkel tries hard. Like she obviously tries hard. She never shows up to something just looking like a normal person. Like she absolutely beyond just like going to dry bar. She absolutely had the stylist like check her outfit, if not put it together for her. She always has her hair done, her makeup done, like a team has been at her house. And she just never like shows up looking authentic. And I think that that's part of what Kat really can't stand about her is that not only does she have that sort of American golden retriever friendliness, but she also is just such a tryhard. Well, and she and her husband are always showing up to every event in like the same tacky and just like all around hideous white limousine i am convinced that they are living out of that car personally (laughs) oh my god that's great (laughs) i look they're always there was like i feel like two scenes with them in that hotel they're clearly not really supposed to be at oasis the house that 
Mikhail auditioned in is not their house. And all of their shit was in that limo while getting ready for the state dinner. You know what? That's a great theory because they do really like hang a lantern on the idea that these two love to stay in hotels. Like they will just pack up and spend a few days at a hotel And that does sound like transitional living for like upper middle class people to me, for sure. Like, well, and they do, yeah, they do go about trying to purchase a house from Stacy, but they don't have any assets or evidence to prove that they can (laughs) afford the eight million dollar home that they desire. And then we later find out at the reunion, eight to twelve million dollar, right, right, right. And then we later find out at the reunion that they they don't own a home and they in fact never have. Yeah, 8 to 12 million is hilarious because it's like, those are, you're in in different zip codes. Right. Like, look, I've watched Selling Sunset. I kind of don't really know anything about real estate, but even I know that's crazy. 8 to 10, maybe. I mean, that's when I have to extend like a little respect to them, just like for the pure hustle of their life, of just absolutely manifesting this life that they want, like pretending to be rich. (laughs) Just like Ariana Grata, Grande, excuse me. It's just like magic. Oh my God. You know what? I have to say that's her least likable song on, on positions to me. Just in terms of like, because of the lyrics of her, like claiming to have manifested her wealth. Yes. Because I'm like, girl, listen, I'm a huge fan. Like I like to the point where I will excuse you for absurd shit. But you are the daughter of a woman who owns a military communications device factory in fucking Florida. Like, you are one of the ones who made it out of, you know, all of the kids out there whose parents have a lot of money and can push them to the front. I would say Ariana and Taylor are like a dream. Like, they're the American dream, honestly, in that sense, right? Where it's like you had parents who had the money to invest in your future, and you just happen to be insanely talented. Yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of this, oh, just, just the idea of like Kylie Jenner being self-made, like that idea of these people who were like born into wealth, then yeah, kind of like, claiming uh, to I, have made their own way. I expect more from Ariana because, you know, to her credit, she got 130,000 Americans registered to vote. And that is huge and made a huge difference in a lot of states. Like, I really respect the way she uses her power and and sort of like what appears to be her general education on what's going on. Now, all the, you know, blackfishing stuff, all those allegations aside, if you can't even put them aside. Like, I would say that, you know, she seems to be a pretty aware person. And that song just was so um, I liked successful because I feel like successful is like, okay, you're just calling yourself successful, which you, which is true. But just like magic, honey, it's not magic. It's not magic. <laughs> like, it's not crazy that you snap your fingers and people do whatever you want. The lyric, but, I get everything I want because I attract it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. it's like, you know what, babe? I feel like you mostly get that because you were groomed to know you could have it because you've always been able to have it and yeah. it's it's painful for me to say that about her but i will say ultimately i find positions to be a comedy album <laughs> they do like i was like this is her doing bloodhound gang like on some of these which i really <laughs> was i felt like very inspired by doja who i think is incredibly i think doja and mac were her biggest inspos on this album yeah. for sure. i i love it i mean i do think it's just like an absolute blast i'm very pleased with this album and her like previous three 
Um, I think, um, I think that this, I was, I was personally a little underwhelmed. Like, you know, I, it hasn't made me stop listening to folklore. You know what I mean? Right. No, I mean, it's like, it's very different because like, obviously sweetener and thank you next were, were lightning in a bottle. Like Mm -hmm. we would never be able to, who could plan that? Not even Scooter Braun, right. Who I actually think is like a flop, but like, cause like he is about to be in debt. Because of like the whole, you know, Taylor's re-recording her masters starting, I think, in four days. So um, she'll legally have the right to do that. So like the way speak now is about to hit. Yeah, no, it's gonna even be, harder. Oh my god, come on! Um, but by the way, I am sad to say that I officially do not think she's in a secret lesbian relationship with Carly Kloss. Um, I have recently, in the last two weeks, have <laughs> had to come to the uh, sad and painful realization that Kayler is no longer now that <laughs> now that uh, Carly's pregnant. Although I will say, I am still enjoying following the Kayler fandom. And seeing uh, that so many people think that Carly's baby is fake. Uh, <laughs> I, I know what I hope it is just for just for how much I would enjoy that. I did reserve the Twitter name Carly's fetus to sell to a, a Kaler at some point. If, you, if you're a Kaler and you're interested, I'd be happy to sell you this Twitter. What a good business move. Yeah. Oh, no, I like I like to think that way. Yeah. We did have an amazing night where me, Abby, and another one of our friends, first we ranked every song on Folklore, Mm -hmm. then we ranked every Taylor Swift album, and then we ranked every um, rumored Taylor Swift romance, and all three of us put homegirl Dakota Johnson right at the top. I want so badly to believe that it's true and that she dated Dakota Johnson. Like, we have no evidence, but I just want to believe Oh, yeah, no. And then Brie Larson is very much in the mix as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, totally. But do you guys know how hard that was for me? Do you know how hard this was for me to find out that Carly Claus is not in a secret relationship with Taylor Swift? Do you know how hard that was for me? I can really only imagine, but I feel your pain. Illicit affairs on repeat. Like, well, like now the catalog just doesn't make sense to me because this means (laughs) <laughs> She's been writing about Joe Alwyn, like for real. Cause like, this is why I, I started to, so someone pointed out the Kaler ship to me maybe like three years ago. And I was like, Oh, that's like ridiculous. Right. And then I read the PowerPoints and I was like, Oh yeah, that's like <laughs> circumstantial evidence, whatever. Uh, but yeah, no, some of this does seem right. And then I like went down the rabbit hole of reading all of the blogs and I was like, Oh my God. Like if this is true, she is the best artist that has ever existed. Like, are you kidding me that she's hiding this? And like, of course, yeah, of course, gorgeous is about her. Like, of course, all okay. Yes, this all makes so much sense. Gorgeous. Yeah. How could she possibly love Joe Alwyn, this loser? Like, now the fact that I have to believe that Taylor and and Joe Alwyn have conversations that would lead her to write the songs that she's written. You don't have to believe. You don't have to believe. devastating. I can get behind, like, you know, Taylor being a bisexual. Like, okay, like, maybe she loves Joe Alwyn, but, like, she once loved Carly Kloss. No, yeah, no. I think that there's that, too. But there's, you know, now the appeal is gone of the idea that, you know, I mean, what does I love you three summers mean now? (laughs) (laughs) I... (laughs) I mean, you're really bringing this up for me. I mean, I, I 
personally as a queer woman, like I want to claim Taylor Swift. I feel like I've really been putting in the work to claim Taylor Swift. I think it would do such great things for the community if we could really have Taylor Swift on our team. But I still choose to claim Betty. No, yeah, Betty is hella gay. But, like, here's the thing. I am a straight woman, and I don't know why it means so, so fucking much to me. Like, it I mean, means- Molly, you're an ally. <laughs> so I, well, I am an ally, for sure. That is it. And, like, also, I definitely feel a little bit like a Larry. Like, I feel like one of those insane women that still thinks that Harry and, and Liam from One Direction are together. Which, by the way, I only know because people call them psychos. Like, I would have never – I don't even really know a One Direction song. But I will tell you (laughs) that Taylor Swift being at the very least a bi woman means more to me than anything. I would never date again if Taylor just said, I'm in a relationship with Carly Kloss. I'd be like, great. I'm fulfilled. Like, I don't need to. I'll never have a child. I don't care. Now that I have that, like, I'm so happy for you guys. Like, I'm so happy for you and for the depth of this catalog. Like, now it's just... Now, Taylor, you know, she's still meaningful to me, but it took something from us, I will say. Taylor can go to the lakes now. Yeah, she you know. can, and she can stay there. <laughs> like, you know, the only upside of that was when it was written from the POV of her having to deal with Carly pretending to marry Jared Kushner. That was the only way that the lakes made sense was when she went there to cry about the pain of that. I mean, I still choose to believe, and nothing can take that away from me. You know, Carly Kloss can have a million children and I will still be willing to die on this hill that they at least, you know, had a relationship at one point. Well, Gaylor is real, though. And like, that's not you cannot shake me on that. Taylor Swift, for sure, has had many things with women. If she, if you tell me that she and Carly were never together, I'll never believe you. I will never. I hope that Carly is deposed about it. I really do. I hope that they get her in a deposition about <laughs> this whole Trump thing. And she asked me your lips to God's ears. Dress was written about me. And that's what I hope is in the deposition. For some reason, I hope the lawyers take a crazy left turn <laughs> and just start asking her about what her relation is to Taylor Swift's catalog. Because I mean, maybe Jared Kushner, you know, catches her in a cheating scandal and takes her to court about it. I mean, I could see it happening. I hope that at the very least we get, you know, a Netflix adaptation of a thinly veiled Taylor Swift fan fiction, you know, possibly starring Joey King. You know, that explores <laughs> Taylor King Swift and Carly Claus's love. <laughs> you think Joey, who is Joey King? <laughs> Joe Alwyn? Who is she? <laughs> Joey King is from The Act and no, The Kissing I know Booth. who she is. I'm just asking who she's playing in the story. I choose to believe that Joey King would play the lead role, <laughs> personally. We just love her. I, you know, we just want any vehicle That's for Joey King. That's your Gino Temple? Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I ride with that. I would be the one inappropriately in a meeting when they're like, wow, this is a great show. Let's make it. Who do you want to do it with? And I'd be like, well, the only person who could play Taylor Swift is Juno Temple. <laughs> no, 100%. I mean, what, let's get them both in, Juno and What I Joey. want is the novelization of the song Betty. 
then adapted into a film for Netflix. Okay, so how do we explain Betty? Like, for real? Like, no, because I know we like to I play with the idea that she's fucking, you know, William Shakespeare over there and writing from all these different people. <laughs> and I do think Taylor is a bigger reader than we ever would imagine. I do think her references go deep. Oh, I think but she's an excellent she's writer. She's definitely read Romeo and Juliet as well as The Scarlet Letter. Yes. That's proven. But I have to say, like, this bitch is fucking gay. Like, she totally is. Like, I'm sorry. I have to. It has to be true. If it's not true, I don't know what I'll do. I I just don't know. I don't know what we're. I don't know how we're supposed to move forward. And I am waiting. She's been very quiet for the last five days. I am waiting. Much like I did during the beginning of the lover era when we started to get teased with the rainbows, you know, as the as Gaylor Nation is, right? We started to get the rainbow. How did we make sense of the me mural now, by the way, guys? Hello, chime in. What does the me mural mean in Tennessee? It's obviously a nod to Carly's uh, Victoria's Secret wings, right? I will say that the lover aesthetics are some of the most re- repulsive to me. I think they're so hideous. Lover's, lover was a miss, and I 100% agree with that. I think overall is her worst, but besides- it has, her- some, it has some good tracks. Like, it definitely has some good tracks, but the visual accompaniments to the album, as well as the singles, are just sort of like, I can't stomach them. Thank God that this Real Housewives of DC pod. <laughs> no, I know. But like, no, I think this is important. I feel like our nation is healing. So we do need to like kind of go through this a little bit. So the Betty of it all, I just want to know, where did this come from inside of her? And also, I'm sorry, Seven? What what POV was that written from, Taylor? When What POV was Seven? Oh, you know about gay little girls that are in a domestic violence situation? Come on, Taylor. Like, I'm done. I'm fucking done, girl. I mean, that was the powerful effect of folklore is that it gave us this real sense that Taylor has had these gay feelings since her teen years. And, you know, she was ostracized. She was lonely and bullied in high school. It kind of is just adding up at this point. Yeah, but then, like, you know, Seven truly is. Like, Seven is a smoking gun for me. Unlike I I agree 100%. And I don't know. I just have too many questions. And by the way... It wasn't illicit affairs? Illicit affairs for sure, but like in a different way. Not less, less so than Betty, by the way. I mean, there, there is always this whole, you know, concept that we know to be true of Taylor Swift as kind of this famous beard, or at least in these, you know, for show relationships with guys, like her relationship with Tom Hiddleston. Right. I mean, come on. And the fact that every guy who ever dates her, like their only commentary on her is like, she's a genius, like nothing else. No more, no less. I mean, couldn't they really be doing the same service for her that she was doing for them? Well, here's the other thing, though. The only person who ever really like spoke out about their relationship in sort of like an ego way was John Mayer, which makes me think that like, you know, he's the only non-contractual Let's call them boyfriend. I, previously, I would have just straight up called them a beard. But, like, this is the only boyfriend she's ever had that was, like, you know, straight up in pain over something she said. Do you know who's having a meltdown, though? No, tell me. Is whatever 40-year-old married woman uh, with children who's behind com because this woman <laughs> has been the heartbeat of the community and like when I found out that she's like 40 married and has kids 
I, 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 I really didn't know what to do with myself because, you know, I know I'm sad. Like, I know that I have too much time for all this, but like, I've sort of like built it in. Like I sort of have chosen to bypass a lot of things that would take up my time so I can fill my time with bullshit. So I know that I have time for this, but I cannot imagine having a husband and children being a straight woman fucking blogging about Kaler every day, like, like building up these teenage girls hearts that are like, I finally discovered your blog and now I realize I'm bisexual. Right. And this woman had to deal with Carly Claus getting pregnant. I know how hard it's been on me and I feel like I'm pretty mentally sound right now. I cannot imagine what Tay Tay's beard is doing. Oh my God. Well, I'm all over the website now. Like the minute you said it, I was like, I need, I need to be on this. She's saying, what's the visual? What's the aesthetic of the site? It's mostly anonymous questions being asked to her and her answering them. But um, she's right now she's covering the election. Yeah, no, Tay Tay's beard is very, um, you know, political right now. But if you go back through sort of the you know, history of this blog, there was this anonymous blogger named or anonymous tipster named Spade and Spade would come in and drop riddles that did all technically make sense after some time. There is no Spade riddle that has not been solved based off of like, oh, and then you go to the AMA's performance and like now Spade's riddle makes sense, right? But a lot of it is, and it's so interesting to me because it's always stuck with me, that apparently Taylor and Carly wink to each other constantly through fashion, but a big part of their draw to one another has to do with like their campaigns. So Taylor's relationship with Victoria's Secret and Carly's relationship and like what those angel days were. And then there's a ring that Victoria's Secret personally made for Taylor. And sometimes Taylor will show up and, and do a little pronoun switch up when she performs. And sometimes she's wearing that ring. So Tay-Tay's beard goes hard on that. Well, I'm seeing right now a piece about a sweater that Taylor and Carly used to share that they would both wear, the genius sweater that looks oddly similar to the folklore sweater that yeah, Taylor and released I, alongside the album. And I will also say another thing about Taylor and Carly that's made no sense to me just as a observer of pop culture is how many times they wear the same like unique piece, like the same unique Chanel dress or the same unique, like particular, like random designer dress that you would never think. And like, typically if a celebrity is wearing, you know, something in a magazine, they won't have other people wearing it. Right. And I guess with Carly, the rub is always, you know, she's a fashion model, so she's going to be wearing things first. But the amount of crossover that exists, it's, you know, you probably can't find another artist who's wearing that exact same dress that Taylor wore for a photo shoot that Carly also wore for a photo shoot. And that's where the, the faux pas sort of steps in for me in terms of like, okay, is this a relationship or, or are y'all just like so close that you're tacky about it? Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, you, I, I, I definitely have my place, my stance, which is, which is pro Gaylor. But now I'm just all over Tay Tay's beard. I really appreciate her campaign against Jared Kushner. Um, I also appreciate this tweet that she shared. That's a picture of Joe Biden with the Taylor Swift lyrics. 
I was high in the sky with Pennsylvania under me. You know, a little celebration of Joe's victory in Pennsylvania. So I got into some trouble on Twitter with Tay-Tay's beard because <laughs> Tay-Tay's beard oh. is not, does not, does not have a Twitter presence and it is not chic to be a, a Kaler in the Swifty world. Like you are, which by the way, this, there's nothing worse than like straight Swifties though. Like the bitches that like fucking make cookies and like think that everything's about Joe. I'm like, y'all are stupid. Like this is the saddest thing I've ever seen. Wake up America. No, like wake up truly like take the red pill. So I, um, I remember like, so after the dinner with the Kushners episode aired of Project Runway, let's just bring it back to Bravo. So that that episode aired where the guy was like, not even to dinner with the Kushners and someone tweeted about it. And I just responded to them, LOL, Carly and Jared aren't even legally married, right? Which is like a, which is a total Kaler thing that they say there's no evidence that they're married. Now, meanwhile, those records aren't public in New York, so there'd be no way to prove it either way, but their wedding was weird, right? So next thing I know, I'm, I'm getting DMs from people in the morning when I wake up. You're Kaler famous now, Molly. I hope you're ready for the Kaler fame, okay? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I wanted to like <laughs> rip my skin off because I probably was like, you know, high and just like was like commenting like, LOL, you know how I am. Like, I'm a fucking idiot. So I just like was like, LOL, they're not even married, right? Next thing I know, I open up Tay-Tay's beard. It's like 9 a.m. and I am assaulted with screenshots of me tweeting that and all these people being like molly oh she's like she's super connected like nt follows her from c dan (laughs) (laughs) i have uh, like lena dunham follows me like if you want to make like a weird ass connection that's a much more direct connection than someone who writes blind items (laughs) but then they're like she's like really like involved in hollywood they were like making me seem like i'm like you know like as if as if any, do you know how involved you have to be to be on a short list of people who have any fucking idea about Taylor Swift's secret four-year relationship with Carly Kloss? You have to be pretty fucking involved, I mean, right? I would choose to believe that you are on that list. No, honestly. honey. And like, they're acting like, oh, I'm some fucking Hollywood insider. <laughs> let something slip, right? And I let this slip like, oh, I'm so in on it. Whereas I'm like, no, I'm like as bad as that lesbian who writes on Vulture every time Taylor Swift does something being like, she's gay. Like, you know what I mean? So I, <laughs> um, I, I really... I really like, you know, had a day where I was too close to the sun with my Kaler fame. And I like tweeted, I just tweeted like TTB. I was like, I don't, I'm not an inside source, but trust me, it's real. And I tweeted the mur- I tweeted the butterfly wings that Carly wears right. during the Victoria's Secret fashion show that are exactly like the Nashville yeah. butterfly wings of me, hoping that they would know, guys. I follow the fucking blog, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I wish Tay-Tay's beard had enough decorum and respect for herself to realize that people probably have just found this blog because the reputation PowerPoint went viral, much like the Jack Antonoff and Lord one. Like this, these are just these viral PowerPoints that are out there, but no, 
she wouldn't believe it. So to this day, sometimes people would be like, oh, well, Molly McAleer liked a Kaler tweet. So now I like them from my dead dogs, tw- my dead dogs Twitter. <laughs> oh. I go on at wagon stuff when I want to stalk the Kalers because I need to know, honey. I need to know what they're saying. And it was very sad. One car- once Carly got pregnant, a lot of people were finally admitting to themselves, Kaler is dead. Well, I hope that something happens that really reignites your hope. Well, TTB, who's like a real gnarly bitch, she's she's part of the group that are, are thinking that Carly is either faking this pregnancy <laughs> or that Vogue.com just announced it for their own health slash publicity, but that because Carly hasn't said anything herself, she might not really be pregnant, which is that that's when I don't fuck with it. Well, I don't fuck with it when people are like, oh, I think Carly's going to pretend she had a miscarriage. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm out. I'm out, honey. I I can't. But I mean, we can cross our fingers that it's Taylor Swift's bone marrow baby. That's actually, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the like Taylor Swift fan theory slash narratives that I really like struggle with and like don't want to believe that I've read about a few times is this idea that she did reputation and lover which have you know some like truly like bad songs such as me and you need to calm down and look what me what you made me do to an extent just because it has that like really comical sample that she like did those albums so that her return to acoustics and her like indie record folklore would like hit harder and be more desired so that like the fans would be so desperate for her to do a folklore type album Oh, I don't think that's the case at all. I don't believe that. But when I hear it, it upsets me. I'm like, don't spread that kind of slander. I don't believe it. And it makes me so happy that eight albums in, she's delivering one of her best. And it's like, what does the future have in store? No, I think that she's going to really go for it. I think that she wants, she's one of those people that wants to like chart in as many places as humanly possible, which is why she's very strategic. And I think that she did folklore very strategically and i think that she will release these upcoming albums very strategically these because they will be available for grammys like she could win album of the year for red oh my god that's Uh, so true and so i'm excited to hear these new vocals do you guys follow dumois no should i it's like a private instagram account but like everyone follows it and it's like a you know it's like a blind item Instagram. And the, the ones that they have about Taylor are fascinating. And like, there was one, I think it was actually on a TikTok account that's very similar to Dumois. And it's based by like a Manhattan restaurant worker that writes about these stories about celebrities. And this person said that they had a friend who was a male model who was having a one night stand with Taylor Swift and one of her cats mauled him (gasps) and Taylor had to pay this guy a shit ton of money because the cat like scratched his face while Taylor and him were having sex. And she and him had a secret relationship for like two years where he was completely paid off and he was with her with the money and she didn't really know. And then one day he just sort of disappeared and moved to Montana why am I obsessed with that story? Right? And it's like, oh my God, is that what's going on with this bitch? Like, and by the way, (laughs) 
Taylor is in my mind, this bitch. Like, that's how I talk about her in my mind. I'm like, what's going on with this bitch? What is this bitch doing? Like, she is that person. personal friend, this bitch. Yeah, this bitch. Like, I'm like, what is she up to today? And so I just, yeah, it, um, it bothers me because also we're being sold on the idea of this being very personal songwriting and some of it's just embarrassing if that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. The idea of her being this bitch, her, her songwriting being so perceived as being so personal, her private life at this point being so private. I mean, I I've always it. thought it was a game. Like, you know, her dropping these hints just to like get more plays and, and, and kind of bait the fans. Like I've always kind of believed that, but I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I always like think like, where's Taylor going to be in 10 years and where are we going to be in 10 years? You know, how's the public going to feel about Taylor in 10 years? She's plotting that memoir. She's planning that tell all. Oh, I I really hope so. Is she like the same breed as Mark Zuckerberg? Cause I think (laughs) that's true. If this, if this bitch is a straight woman, who literally just is dating fucking Joe Alwyn and is like, you know, cause I've never been able to pin it down why people hate her. I've always asked, like, give me a moment. Like, you know, there's so many rumors about so many people and it's like anecdotes about, you know, something happened at this recording studio or this, you know, happened then. But she is a person who has so many fucking enemies in this business for no reason. And I don't understand why. Like, it it doesn't make any sense to me. And when, for the brief, you know, couple years where I was like, oh, she's probably just closeted and super fucking secretive and, like, you know, cuts people out. And there's maybe also people that know. I mean, how weird was that when Jennifer Lawrence is like, oh, if I could answer one mystery, it'd be like, what happened between Carly Kloss and Taylor Swift? Like, Jennifer Lawrence, you're too in Hollywood to ask questions like that out loud. Yeah. Even for Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence, right? So I just like, you know, I don't know. Like, is she Mark Zuckerberg? I don't know. I mean, I the only compelling, like, the only compelling story as to why people dislike her that I ever sort of like, okay, understood was like fans disliking her because of her sort of like constantly leaning on this victim narrative and like always kind of painting herself in a victim as a victim, specifically in relation to like Kim and Kanye. But, but no, she was. Yeah. I mean, I agree. But that was the only narrative where I was like, okay, I understand like why people feel this way and like why she gets hate for this reason. Because I would say, like, I'm even more of a Kanye fan than I am a Taylor fan, like, in terms of his catalog and where I've spent more money and all that stuff. But, like, I, I, like, objectively, like, to be a Kanye fan on the ground level, if you're sane, you know he's wrong. Well, guys, hopefully my fucking Twitter is in the description of this episode so you guys can tweet at me fucking aggressively about this because, like, I want to talk about this forever. Like, there's no shortage <laughs> to, to who I want to dialogue about this and for how long. Like, feel free to, like, tell me all your theories. I need to know. It keeps me up at night. You know, to anyone wondering why the fuck we're allowed to sit here and talk about Taylor Swift for an hour or whatever. I'm sorry. I have sat with so many 65 year old gay men that want to tell me about share like this. So like, it is totally an okay hobby to, to love, <laughs> to love pop stars. This is totally fine and totally a good use of our time. And that's it. So yeah, I agree. I mean, you'll see no argument here. 
I just don't think anyone who's stumbling onto this podcast is out. Yeah, anyone who listens to our podcast is going to be overjoyed that we spend an hour talking about Taylor Swift. You this guys, is what though, they're real. For. You guys, Kaylers, invite me to your Discord. Like, I want to be a part <laughs> of it. Like, I want to know. I want to be involved. Get Molly in these discussions, everyone. Yeah, I will fully set up a Discord account just to talk about Gaylor with you. I need to, I, guys, <laughs> I need to get to the bottom of this. I don't know why it's so important to me. It just is. It just is. It gives me like more. Ju- I mean, Reputation was such a great album. And I will say I'm a Reputation Taylor Swift fan for sure. Like that was definitely the album that broke my teeth when I came to her. And then it, I always liked I think that Mean was the first song I heard of hers that I was like, there's something there. And also this um, The Hollywood Complex, which is a really dark and twisted documentary Um one of the children that was never getting acting jobs in that documentary went on to play the bullied girl in the mean video. So that was like sort of my entry level. Uh, you know, I fuck with reputation. I just watched the, I rewatched the, the Netflix concert film. Oh, it's such a good ago. concert it, film. It's really, it good. really brought me peace. And, you know, 1989 was great. Red had some bops for sure. But I would say after Reputation, I was all in on Tay-Tay. And then um, I realized, like, we have a lot of weird, like, my friends make made fun of me a lot in the parking lot of the Reputation tour because they were like, huh, you're Taylor. And I was like, realized, like, oh, my God, I am kind of the Taylor Swift of my friend group. Like, I am. <laughs> Fuck, you're right. Like, that is who I am. And then... Um, Lover came out, was not so excited for that because, you know, the lead single, weak. Yeah. But at that point, oh. she sold us on the idea of Easter eggs, which are crack, by the way. Right. And I loved Folklore so much. I loved it. I cried the first time I listened to it. Abby and I lit a single candle, put on our respective headphones, and just we, And also away. cried. Yeah. Yeah. You guys that's- together? We do. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, we're we're very um we're very much a unit in a lot of ways. So you've had that this whole quarantine. You guys are like together. Oh yes, all yeah. day, every day. Oh, I love that. Well, okay, so here's the thing. I want both of you to come on the Lifetime podcast, but I want you to come on individually because I don't love to do two on one because I feel like it doesn't let anyone shine when you do two on one. So I want to definitely have you guys on individually. So we should schedule that after we're done here. But I want to, I want to keep, I feel like I've completely derailed this. <laughs> okay. So what else do we have to cover about these DC hoes before we get So, it? okay. Right before we talked about, you know, Taylor, we were, we were talking about fucking Oasis the 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 store bought grape stomping and then we were starting to discuss Ugh. Mary's daughter getting accused of grand theft auto. Yeah, so wait, so just to touch on the home like home or the store bought grapes, okay? So they're in a fucking vineyard, right? Like that's what they have. <laughs> Typically there's a surplus of grapes at the vineyard. They went and bought grocery store red grapes, which is not what wine is made out of. And they had their I Love Lucy moment, which I'm assuming production had the balls to set that up. But then Mikel and I believe that Mikel is on one enough to be like, do you know what would be a good idea? Right. 
But then, then they're like, okay, but day of, we don't have grapes, so we'll just go to the grocery store. So they get those, like, red grapes, which, by the way, are the worst grapes. Red grapes are not good. Um, controversial opinion. They just have no snap to them. So, yeah, they get the red grapes. They're stomping on them, creating nothingness, and then they all go into this. Absolutely dinner. no liquid. <laughs> no liquid produced. None. And I like the, the idea, the fantasy that maybe Tarek and um, Mikhail. 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 My brain is just like not here today. Mikhail turned to the assistant, the redhead assistant, was like, go get up some grapes. There's no grapes on this vineyard. So she just secretly bought store ones. I like this fantasy where she is duping everyone. And by everyone, I mean the two people that she works with. And also, oh, yeah, there's like stickers on them still. Like, I mean, no one was duped. <laughs> like, everyone knew. Yeah, I think, I think honestly, my bet is that production said a fun comedy bit would be to, because that's always the thing is people are always like, what worked for I Love Lucy? Yes, guys. Like, unfortunately, I have worked with so enough people that literally think comedy, okay, what do we got to do? What's the I Love Lucy thing, right? So I bet that they said, let's do grapes. And Mikkel and Tarek were like, yeah, let's do grapes. And then they were like, well, we don't have grapes at our fucking vineyard because we don't grow anything here. Let's just get some grocery store grapes. And production, this was, I, I would guess, based on the way it's filmed, and edited, it was also a surprise to production to show up and find grocery store grapes. Because <laughs> uh, I feel like if it was like, if it was a good doing by production, the production would have brought in fake grapes from some, from other like vineyard. Another vineyard, yeah. It's a very specific grape, right? That makes a wine. So they, um, you know, they have this thing. It's like kind of just like a little task. And then they all go into this barn for dinner. And wine has been poured heavily. I don't want to like make fun of Virginia wine because I don't know enough about it. And I know obviously this vineyard was at one point very successful, but I feel like Virginia wines in my mind have that sulfury taste to them. Interesting. I don't know enough about wine. I am a boxed wine drinker. I did have boxed wine earlier, so I can't say, but I choose to believe you. If anyone listening from Virginia with a winery connection is listening, please hit us up and I will I will buy us each a bottle. I uh, have to say, <laughs> I, I have to say I've worked at like a fair few Italian restaurants and been a wine server. And I don't remember ever being challenged with the with the honor of selling a Virginia wine. They're definitely a thing. Like, I definitely know there's people that ride for Virginia wine. I know that it's a, <laughs> I know that it's like a legitimate wine region, and that some good bottles must come out of there. But I don't know. I I don't know that I've ever tasted one where I'm like, that's fantastic. And I also don't really drink a lot of red wine to begin with. Like, that's sort of a very special meal, sort of. Right. Drink choice. Cause I'm, I'm it, the staining is just unreal. So oh, we know cause it's on everything we own. No, I know. Like also like, I feel like my teeth were like perma purple. Like when I felt <laughs> like it was okay to drink red wine and now I'm just like, why would you? So unless it's for a meal. Right. So they go in and Mary is, you know, she has a, a constant presence of being slightly overserved throughout this entire season. Right. right. And apparently the fans appearance. really picked up on that. 
Which is wild when you think about Real Housewives as a whole, because like, you know, half of the cast of New York is in and out of the program at this point. Like there's some serious shit going on in these other cities when it comes to drinking. And, you know, as much as we all sort of know that like, you know, the cast of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and every other show, they're all sort of well lubricated. We know that. I wish that that was focused on specifically why more. And I know they can't, they couldn't have done that when like real world and everything like that was in play because to, you know, imply that having these cameras around was uncomfortable was a certain thing. But where we are now with reality television and sort of the average American's understanding of tv production i wish that they would just fully say head on i'm nervous to be on camera so i drank too much literally yeah yeah. can i also just say you touching on the real world just it just set something off in me because i feel robbed of an experience i feel like i'm being robbed of getting the chance to go on the real world since it's not on anymore except for like on facebook when i hit 25 my life was over because i was like you know, I never wanted to try out for real world because I knew I would get it. Like I always knew it. <laughs> I always was like, if the second I try out for real world, it's over for me because I'm going to get it. Like I know I, yeah. I'm just that bitch that would 100% get on real world and like it wouldn't even be a thing. But I was yeah. so worried about like m- the preservation of my life as an adult. Like what would I be? I, when I when real world was really on and popping, I wanted to go into politics. So that was like the big thing where I was like, please keep me from real world because then I'll never be taken seriously as a politician. Meanwhile, Sean from fucking Boston season and Rachel from San Francisco are heavily involved in the Wisconsin Democrats or Republicans yeah. rather. So, you know, you can have a political career without doing real world. But when I turned 25, that's when I knew I was old. Like I was like, you can't try. I can too old to be on real world. Like I'm old. Like, well, thank God that I'll always have survivor. Right. And also amazing race. What if we did like a podcaster's version of amazing race? (laughs) Or like Survivor <laughs> Podcasters Edition. Oh no! That's really just amazing. Just thirty podcasters on a desert island. Yeah, just like thirty, like slightly out of shape on paper, like couldn't really re- do, like pass all the physical test type people on an island. You know, just bitching people that for a career talk their feelings out for no reason to an audience of 60 people like yeah i think that we would be great on survivor but the social game the social game would be off the chart because we all have those narratives in our head we're all the main character i guess it would be but i feel like the people that really have that syndrome those people would be out in like six weeks right like right i can be the main character for a couple hours but in real life i'm not the main character i don't think no, me either. And Roberto and I talk about that all the time. I, I see us more as a supporting supporting roles. But we have been com- campaigning to get Roberto on Survivor, and we're going to keep that campaign up until it happens. Oh, I'd be happy to do that. My friend Amaris um, literally watched every single season of Survivor while she was in quarantine. And when I tell you that on, like, day 
what felt like day 800 of waking up <laughs> to her live tweeting her watching <laughs> the apprentice from 20 or seasons of the survivor from 20 years ago i was like girl like i cannot believe that there is this much television like you would think it was big brother where it's like they have those 24-hour live streams or something like i'm like where is all this survivor coming from and i actually really enjoyed watching someone else watch it because i maybe watched one season of Survivor, although I, I'll say I've, I've been peripherally aware of it for a very long time. I did go to Boston College, home of Elizabeth Hasselbeck. So, you know, Elizabeth's been in my life for a long time, but... Yeah, and you know, Survivor has always, since day one, and continues to have a lot of contestants from Boston. I've noticed. Richard it. Hatch. Yeah, Richard Hatch is a huge deal. There's someone from Boston on every season. As yeah, because I feel like in Massachusetts, down. we're like, oh, yeah, what, put me on a fucking island? Like, who cares? Like, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> I grew up, like, you know, going to school in jeans, like, in, you know, insane weather with, like, you know, just, like, wearing, like, jeans and, like, a long sleeve top under a jacket. Like, people from Boston are just so salty. Like, we're salty dogs. Like, we literally grow up on the ocean like a bunch of animals. So I feel like, you know... <laughs> survivor appeals to people like that plus i feel like there's like a higher density of like educated people and i feel like sometimes overeducated people um are a little bit um naive about oh my gosh yeah especially on survivor yeah yeah like you go in you're like oh i'm like i went to harvard and it's like harvard doesn't matter on a fucking island dog like how can you eat bugs how can you live off of bugs and then go I eat fire or whatever the hell they do on there. What are the challenges on Survivor? It's um, it's a lot of obstacle courses. Obstacle courses, swimming, puzzles, and then the occasion balancing. A uh, lots of standing on pegs for like two hours. Um, yeah, I th- I feel like it's a lot of like waiting it out. Like who can last yeah. the longest? Like standing yeah. on something. And then the occasional like eating grubs and like cow brain. But I feel like everyone's so happy to just eat. Right. Yeah. So they're like, whatever, you know, protein's protein. Yes, for sure. But yeah, no, I really don't know the Boston connection between Survivor, but I'm not surprised. And I will tell you, like, a lot of the meme stuff about Boston that's out there, like the lady who voted at Fenway, who's like, I got my donkeys, like, whatever. <laughs> like, that went viral. Because, but to me, that didn't even, like, it didn't even hit me why other people would think that's so funny. Cause I'm like, that's just like, that's what people are like. Like, I don't know why that's so funny, but I, I kind of do. But like, I also am like, that's any bitch in Boston and like calls it donkeys. Like any yeah. bitch, like, you know, is like, I just wanted to get out of the house and go vote at Fenway. It's a historical site. Why wouldn't you want to go? My world was rocked. I don't, this might not just be, you know, solely Boston, but when I got out there for school I've always been a hot coffee drinker. So I was, it felt like I was glitching when I was looking around as the snow was falling to see everyone with their iced Dunkin' cups. I was like, am I okay? Are these people okay? What's happening? I know it is weird. I will say it is weird, but Dunkin' hits different when it's cold. I mean, it hits hits pretty hard either way, I will say. Yeah, no, but I would have to agree. I mean, I'm an iced coffee all year round person and it just makes sense to me because that's just how I've always lived being from New England. You guys went to Emerson, right? We did, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Mad respect. I loved that Bed Bath & Beyond off the green line. Um, 
<laughs> Believe it or not, that is how I locate you. Um, but yeah, no. Okay, so wait. So they go to this dinner, right? Yes, uh, and this is where Tarek, you know, Mary can just tell that Tarek has like a little something to say and he's holding it in and that's when he drops this bomb that he's been sitting on all day about her dad. It sounds like for months he's been sitting on this. In the first episode, during that polo charity event or whatever it was, game, that someone stole his car and his polo equipment and that the FBI is looking into it and found Lolly's Facebook page where she was bragging about going on a joyride. Yeah, and he makes it sound like she would write like, hey guys, didn't you enjoy that ride in the stolen car with the stolen <laughs> polo equipment? Like the way he makes it sound makes it sound like her post was so bald and insidious. But like the truth is, is that I think she probably did. You know, one of her friends got in the car turned it on because he probably left the keys in like a fucking idiot. I don't think these kids hot-wired his vehicle. I feel like you probably... Is that why they have to, like, roll around in this limo? Because his car is gone? And they can't buy a new one? But, like, it almost sounds like they returned it to where they found it. Yeah, and that her comment was just, when they do end up talking about the Facebook post, because Mary confirms that it existed, that her comment was literally just a question, which was, wait, was this the car we were riding around in? Not even really a confirmation that she was aware that there was any kind of, like, theft taking place. It sounds like a bunch of kids got blackout drunk. I mean, the biggest implication here is not even that the car was stolen, but that they were driving drunk, if if you're asking me. I was rocked. I like that he brings up the FBI, because to me, I I didn't know where... I, I, I didn't know about the scandal, right? Like, we didn't really look into anything before we started the show so based on the promos i was like oh are these two like embezzling and going to jail at the end so to me in that scene i was like it seems like he is being investigated by the fbi and then just happened to learn that leverage right no that's a great point that is a great point and like you know that these this certainly isn't like the bling ring he was selling out you know so one thing i really loved about this scene that i've appreciated more and more the older i've gotten was how Scott and Stacy were so on Mary's team with how out of yeah. line this was. She's sobbing. And that they confronted her without her husband being there. So it's like this man is directing a conversation specifically to this woman about her daughter. And that's, I'm sorry, like Tarek's the kind of guy that if if he took issue with me at a dinner and started hammering on me, I would feel extra unsafe. Like, he's not a guy that you feel, like, safe around. And no. you're like, oh, he wants to make a point. Like, he's like a creepy motherfucker. And if this guy was wasted telling me he has all this dirt on me and that he has the FBI looking into my daughter and he's looking to press charges, I would, I would have a breakdown. And I do think because of sort of the, some of the nature of this whole franchise, which is that it's about a lot of, you know, dignity and proper processes and, you know, how, how things are done. Right. I, I kind of look at this and I think, God, that is so weird. It's so shitty that he confronted her alone. And I'm so glad that Stacy and her husband stood up 
against Mikel and Tarek. And, you know, while they didn't straight up, like, say, like, fuck you guys, they definitely made it clear that they thought it was inappropriate, which they didn't have to do considering that they had had a great weekend in Paris together. Yeah, I really appreciated that. And it really gave me, like, an increased respect for Stacey and her husband. And I truly, like, that that scene was so crazy because on the one hand, like, I totally agree with you that Tarek is very threatening, very creepy. I mean, I just find him just awful in every way. And this behavior was like so unacceptable, but it also appeared to be pretty unfounded. Right. There was no, and like no actual hard evidence to suggest that Lolly had committed grand theft auto or that she was under any kind of criminal investigation from the FBI. And even Mikel at one point turns to him and is like, well, I don't know about that. Like, I'm not sure that we actually have confirmation. Well, because I feel like this was a murky time with social media for, like, the public, where, Mm -hmm. you know, 2009 was when people started to, like, pop off as personalities on Twitter. Like, that's where, like, the Kelly Oxfords were born, was, like, of that time when Twitter, you could be, like, a person who made jokes on there, and you were... So, like, that was, like, our understanding, I would say, as the average extremely online person, right? But, like, the idea that you could get someone in trouble from Facebook has been around since the genesis of Facebook, which is, like, be careful what you post on there because your future employers could see it. But whether or not you could, like, take someone to jail for something they posted on their social media was a very vague area. It was was very gray. So, like... As far as everyone at this dinner knew, just like conversationally, saying someone said something that implicated them in a crime on Facebook was like a total, like out of nowhere thing where it absolutely could be the case or it absolutely couldn't be the case, but you just didn't know. And so, especially to like, you know, when she's drunk, you've had her at your place, you've been entertaining her all day, you've gotten this woman drunk, and now you're like sitting down and being like, well, actually we've been doing an FBI investigation on your daughter. It's so creepy. It's terrifying. And you're so right. And Tarek, to me, plays off as, he has the energy of an individual who you, who, who is maybe abusive at home and kind of this showman in front of other people. Like he just reminds me of like fathers who are awful to their kids, but then like is cozying up to their friends. And he is, again, so scary and off-putting, but I found Mikkel to be such a light and enjoyable and kind of hilarious to watch that it was hard to find their kind of opposing energies on screen. Yeah, wait, so I want to know what you think about that because I agree. I find that Mikkel is a light and to be a, such a light attracted to such darkness. You know, I'm I'm... I'm one to say you don't know the realities of what's going on at home, but I would lean towards Tarek wouldn't dare be abusive to her because she's so clearly the best thing that has ever happened to him. So I feel like he probably, if he was abusive towards her verbally or otherwise, like I feel like that probably came out closer to the divorce and why she left him. But I feel like just on a pure narcissistic abuse level, Someone like Tarek knew that Mikkel was the best thing that could come his way. I was just of the opinion, because I liked her so much, like when when all this stuff started coming up towards the end of the season and they were getting accused of things, I was 
I think I chose to believe that he was maybe gaslighting her. Like the scene where she couldn't find the invitation. I could just like envision like the scene right before where he's like, no, you have the invitation. You put it in your bag. I guess you lost it. And her kind of just maybe knowing it's happening, but kind of just playing along like, sure. Oh, that makes me feel sick because you're so right. Like, something happened to Mikkel. Like, for sure, like, she was raised in a bad situation. I just feel that way. He bounces around with, like, a sunniness that should not exist in, like, an adult unless, you know, like, it it just doesn't. Like, that sunniness that she has doesn't exist in people... 99.9% of the time when they were raised in a normal environment. And I get absolutely, I mean, to even wind up with Tarek, like there has to be something going on there. Like to think that this man is your savior, going to pull you away from the Nordstrom makeup counter and put you into society. It really like illustrated her opinion or like her thoughts around marriage in the uh, reunion when they're talking about how Kat is newly divorced And this is like the meanest Mikkel ever is, but she says, you know, at least I'm married and I have someone that loves me. If you let love into your heart, your husband would come back to you. Right. To me and to me in the reunion that scene that struck me was when they ask Mikkel if she's ever, if she ever um, is without Tarek, like if she's ever alone and she shakes her head and starts sobbing and like uh, someone help her yeah they got um, divorced like a like a year or two after this right well Tarek put out a missing persons report on her right right, right and right. then it turns out that she was on tour with journey <laughs> and she's but now don't married you see it that way that they're at some like you know arena and journey is part of a thing and Tarek bought them some like backstage passes you know some vip thing to like go grease her up or whatever and she meets this guy and is just like yeah i'm into this vibe now because to this mm-hmm. day and from what i read she they co-run his instagram i mean yeah journey is an institution yeah and she i have to say i'm so happy for her but you know i wonder you know I, that's why i would like to think she's not so diabolical and i i guess earlier i was hesitant to say that because i i wanted to give her the true feminist chance to be just as bad as a person as Tarek is <laughs> but like i kind of don't think she's capable of it i mean ultimately she does seem pretty kind-hearted except for those like that one set of comments she makes toward cat she's not antagonizing to the other women and they have such a low opinion of her and are so open about it. And she does like receive a lot of negativity from them. She didn't ever strike me as somebody who was out to do harm. I still think that there's a possibility that she was in on, you know, sneaking into the white house, sneaking into the black caucus dinner, etc. I just don't think that she was like intentionally trying to do harm to others. And I bet she was, I, I think she was mortified when she realized that she had signed up to host Paul's dinner and maybe Tarek realized after that she wasn't just babbling on about some invitation that they were actually footing the bill because yeah, he was probably yeah. like, we don't have the cash for that. Like we have the line of credit for that, but we don't have the cash for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I do see Tarek more as somebody who is going to victimize other people. And I see her as, as not being that way, but Although we do have to Did you see that he ran for governor? No, I didn't. (laughs) He 
He ran for governor of Virginia in 2013. Or tried to, I think. How'd that go for him? Um, not well. Oh, that's when you know he has, like, some narcissistic delusions. After he was literally disgraced for crashing the White House, that he would then run for office? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely... I feel bad. I feel bad about Mikel. I do. I, feel I mean, bad. I'm happy for her that she very clearly escaped into the arms of Neil Sean from Journey. Yeah, I hope someone who's listening to this has, like, insider tea and can, you know, share that with us. Like, I need some insight into what is going on there. Like, Well, and the fact that she had to disappear instead of just, like, divorcing Tarek, the fact that she, like, ran off with this other guy doesn't really reflect very well on Tarek, that she would, like, no. have to go about it that way. And she's exactly, like, if I was a touring musician and I wanted, like, a loyal like wife that would just be like around like i would probably go for someone like her because she seems down to do anything she seems fine not having kids she seems fine like just to be there like mikhail really radiates vibes of someone who's just happy to be in the room and that's a like a rare childlike quality in a person and i think it's kind of great that she has that and that she found someone she can do that with and like be proud of it because she rode for Tarek, considering how bad he was. Like, I yeah, mean, she pled I, the fifth on his behalf in court. Think, yeah, I think she was mortified by a lot of his behavior, but knew she had to show up and be above loyal board. to her husband. Yeah, she had to show up and be like, "Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's going well." Yeah. So the series wraps up with you know. Tarek and Mikkel going to court, having to plead the fifth because, you know, they posed a national security risk by crashing this event with the president. And then at the reunion, some highlights are that um, Mikkel has MS, but no one believes her. Um, Kat left her husband because he wasn't around and he was kind of mean to her. Right. Stacy reconnect, uh, reconnected with her father and siblings and will be visiting them in Nigeria. And then, of course, the, the main event for me, usually I don't like reunions. I find them to be dull. It's like, I just want to watch the show. But this reunion fucking hit because then we get the story um, at a press event, Lydia or Linda, excuse me, Linda tried to stop Tarek from verbally harassing women, which resulted in him shoving Mikkel and throwing a glass of red wine in Linda's face. Which he admits to. She retaliated and threw a glass of water, not scotch, because she would never waste scotch on him. And then we have a great Ebong moment of Ebong saying that if he was there, that Tarek would have been asleep because he would have taken care of the situation. God bless him. I love him. He's so sweet. Please check up on him. I want to see how he's doing. I actually, you guys have, I should I like see if he, I don't know if I like can handle this. I think he probably <laughs> follows me, but either way, I know we could get in touch because we used to email. Okay. You know, he it? still follows me. Thank God. Okay. So, um, should I DM him? What were our last, um, DMs? <laughs> Oh, he came on Please Advise. Fun. Yeah, I forgot about that. Hey, I'm going to write, hey, talking about DC right now. 
talking about Real Housewives of DC. I'm DMing him. This is amazing. Talking about Real I mean, uh, I don't have a negative word to say about him from what I saw on the show. I really don't. Was telling the hosts how much I enjoy you. And hope you're doing well. Amazing. Uh, I'm glad we're getting this, this message of support for Yvonne across. You are <laughs> celebrated. <laughs> and that is The Real Housewives of DC, a true masterpiece from 2010. Guys, this is really fun. It was. Thank you so much. It was a total blast. And we have and, you um, to thank and- for the show, too. Of course. And you know what, guys? Honestly, I am so sorry about the one hour Taylor uh, slash Kaler jaunt we went on, but I feel like it was required for healing. We're not sorry about <laughs> it. We loved it. Okay, good. Um, Those are conversations guys, we needed to have. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really like fun episode. I would do any sort of thing like this. I'm sure I have other shows like this that I absolutely am obsessed with if you guys ever want to do another one. But I would really love to have you individually on Mother May I Sleep a podcast um, in the very near future. So please uh, come and do that with me. It would be an absolute blast. I'll please. definitely be in touch about it. You have it. my phone Before number you- now, so. I do, yeah. Before you go, I just, since we, you know, solidified the date of you coming on, I've had just like two burning questions for you. What? The first question is, I just listened to your fabulous Haley Duff Christmas Lifetime episode. Oh, yeah. And I needed to know if you have seen Christmas Bell starring Haley Duff. I have not, no. But you know what? Every time I cover a Haley Duff movie, everyone's disappointed that it wasn't another Haley Duff movie. So I know <laughs> that I'm, you know, she really is prolific, honestly. She is. I highly, re- I don't know if it's Lifetime, but it is a Beauty and the Beast Christmas movie in which they struggle to really hit the 80 minute runtime. So they fill it with a lot of, you know, B-roll, a lot of reused shots. Let me see. Uh, I only do Lifetime, so I wouldn't even know a Hallmark. I don't want to know a Hallmark, but let me see if, because if it is a, um, if it's a Lifetime one, then you and I have to do it. Like, uh, my second question is, you know, as someone who's on the right side of history in terms of being a Pretty Little Liars stan, yeah. <laughs> I need to know how you're dealing with the news of, you know, the Riverdale creator, doing a revamped version of Pretty Little Liars in the next year for HBO Max. Well, I'm actually sick to my stomach because you're the first person to tell me this. <gasps> oh my God, I'm Literally, so sorry, Molly. What? They are doing Pretty Little Liars colon original sin on HBO Max led by the guy who does Riverdale. Wait, wait, what's the guy's name? Because I know the writer's names, but I just... Roberto Aguirre... So there's a middle name. Oh, I Roberto something. I don't know like him. I was thinking of what's his face. Um, come on, the guy whose name is like a first name and a common object. I don't remember. What it is, but <laughs> it's Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. He is like the Riverdale showrunner. Well, I will say that anyone who has a hard time understanding what's going on in Riverdale did not live through Pretty Little Liars. Whatever the fans on Riverdale are like, you know, I I only saw a few episodes of Riverdale, but like, 
I, you know, was very attracted to Jughead growing up. So that's working out well for me in terms of just like when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, they're great. Like Betty, Veronica, still same babes. Love it. Um, But, you know, this is a uh, this is a new piece of information. I feel okay about it because I feel like Pretty Little Liars was almost doing like a cartoon of itself at the end. And I, right. and I enjoy that, you know, it's camp. It truly is. By the way, why weren't the girls from PLL invited to the Met Gala when they did camp? I agree. 100%. What the fuck, guys? Where is Troy and Bellis- Belisario and, you know, Lucy Hale, my girl? Anna is canceled. But I will tell you this, <laughs> like that, no, truly, Pretty Little Liars became you know, such camp at a certain point that it was like just impossible to turn away from. So as much as I, you know, I'm very precious about that world. I will say that it went places. I anticipated it going, but couldn't have possibly imagined how they would get there. Like, especially the finale was just on like, I mean, it was an acid trip. I think that's the most fun part of Pretty Little Liars was that it was just bizarre. And um, what was it? Ravenswood? Oh, unwatchable. Yeah, in my Ravenswood was disgusting. I would never, I don't want anything to do with it. Ravenswood was like an upside down world that I'm not interested in. So if it goes in that direction, no. And I will have to look into whether or not this writer was a part of that. Because if so, no, canceled. <laughs> not a part of it. How dare you? But generally, I'm a fan. I will say I am disappointed in Ashley Benson being with G-Yeezy. Uh, well, I it was so lovely. And uh, do I need to check out Ladies of London? How many seasons am I going to get There's sucked three, in? There's three, but they're like 12 episodes each. And like, yes, you have to watch. You'll die. Oh, we can definitely okay, do I'm that. excited. Yeah, you'll you'll blow it out in like two days. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for having me on. And um, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Have a great one. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. Oh, well, the time has come for... The Real Housewives of D.C. Incident Report. Date of cancellation, April 7th, 2011. Five months after the airing of the season one reunion special. Immediate cause of death? A classic case of a flame that burns twice as bright but half as long. As a consequence of dynamite casting, sheer luck, and delusion. In this case, it was, in fact, a goat rodeo. <laughs> I like that. That was really good. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This was, like, such a blast episode for us to report, record. We had such a great time. We, as usual, have a lot of exciting things coming. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Dearly De Podcast and on Instagram at Dearly Departed The Pod. And I think it's pretty obvious that we loved this show from start to finish i don't think it's even a question if it would make our ranking of shows most deserving of getting canceled yeah we're not doing the ranking today because real housewives of dc is just such an immaculate production that it did not deserve to be canceled it was robbed from us by the fbi and um yeah we would love plenty more seasons if they had been able to make that happen for us so stay safe guys 